Howdy everyone, welcome to Unsafe Space. You're watching Kofefi Break, and uh, we do this live every Monday, Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Carter Learn, and I'm joined most of the time, including now, by Carrie Smith. Hello, Carter. How are you? I'm better than you because I'm not sad that your camera is good quality. Yeah, I just don't like using my phone. Uh, I have my friend's laptop here, but it, it it's slow. So if it starts working, I'm going to switch over to it. Okay. I used it the other night on a podcast, and it worked great. Well, everyone, uh, Carrie's actual uh, actual new laptop is on its way. Apple sent her the adapter for it, but they haven't sent the laptop yet, so it's coming. So we'll we'll get to see you in uh, also, all of your glory like this normally with a perfectly functional laptop. Look at this. This is the other reason I don't like a really great camera. I have a zit here somewhere. I can't see it, but everyone else can. Ah. <laughs> You know anyway. that's that's why you need a makeup artist <laughs> next, Carrie. We all have we mm. all have zits. It's happened. It's happened. Yeah. How you, how was your weekend? How you doing? Good. Also, uh, one last thing, just last gripe is I know you say the camera quality is great on my phone, but I can't like the everything's blurred and also I, you're it's like you're in a tunnel. So hopefully I'll oh. switch over in a second. Um, my weekend was good. I did, uh, I went to Comfort, Texas, and uh, uh, my boyfriend had a show there, and uh, or a couple shows, and it was fun. We were outside, people were acting like normal humans. It was really? good. Really? That's nice. That's encouraging. I've been wor I'm worried that people I mean, are never going to act town. like real humans again, but uh, maybe only in Texas. They're acting normal? Maybe in certain, There's... like, small communities, yeah. So, I'm, I'm like... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get Mike Harlow to come down here, but he doesn't have a driver's license or a car. So we're and he doesn't want to fly. <laughs> coming up. We're coming up against some uh, barriers. <laughs> anyway, well, how are you? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I still don't have a haircut because I can't find anyone to give me a haircut. Although now I'm wondering if if I do the just a buzz cut and let my wife cut it or or whatever. I feel like that's giving up. It's admitting that we're going to be in shelter in place forever and the world has changed. So maybe I should just like let it keep growing in protest until uh, until we get out of this crappy lockdown. Because here in California, it's still crazy. People are still wearing masks and acting like they have to disinfect everything. And it's uh, it's disappointing about, you know, the problem. Yeah, the government's the problem. But the problem is really the culture. People are just, they they're bought in to this shit. Like, they're not just doing it begrudgingly. They're yeah. doing it. People are bought in, and, and I know we I – don't, I don't mean to belabor this every time we talk, but it is, it's on everyone's mind, so I, we have to talk about it. It's, it's on my mind. Yeah. I'm just blown away by how bought in people are. You know, one of my friends in L.A. shared uh, something from Garcetti, the mayor there. Remember he was saying, we're not going to open for three months. Now he's saying we're not going to open until we have a, quote, cure. There is no cure. Right. It's a virus. <laughs> and it mutates. I don't, have we ever cured a virus at all? I don't think there is a cure for any virus. I mean, is there? what does he mean by cure exactly? Vaccine or, I mean, I just, and, and people are fine with this. They've scared people enough that people are okay with it. And I had another friend who basically, uh, I shared this funny 
funny video from a woman who I, I just thought she was a real character. And um, she was talking about how she's not going to wear a mask, but she, I could watch her read the phone book. She's just really funny. And um, he said something about, you know, she just wants to be an internet celebrity. I'm like, well, she should be an internet celebrity. She's funny. And he said, well, she will be if she gets arrested near me. And I'm like, you're cool with the government, like the state coming in and arresting your neighbor for not wearing a mask. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with people? It, 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 it's, it baffles the mind. And I'm, I'm still struggling, as you know, um, with this, uh, with, I, I came to an, I came to an epiphany and I've talked about it on the podcast already, but I came to an epiphany about, I was kind of experimenting for maybe two or three weeks with name calling and just things were that were outside my usual behavior with, in conversations with people online. And, uh, I came to this epiphany about it where I realized it's not for me. I can admire it when someone else does it or, you know, it might be right for, I, I like it sometimes when I see, uh, like a really just a great smackdown of someone who deserves it, who is behaving like a, like a sheep or, or a snake or, you know, whatever. But for me, it doesn't work because when I call someone that I can call them that in third person with you, whatever. But if I'm trying to talk to someone or with someone, if I name call them, it, grows contempt in me. It, it's not just a product of contempt. It actually actively grows my contempt towards them. And so I've decided I'm going to stop doing that. But that doesn't mean I've stopped struggling with the feelings of it. Like I still, I read some of these comments from people who are a-okay with fascism. That's what it is. They, oh, they, they misuse that word all the time. And then when the government, local governments and state governments actually start behaving in a fascist way and start restricting individual freedom and taking away people's right to go to work and put food on the table, then they support fascism. And I'm struggling with my disgust. Well, I mean, even from my perspective, I mean, tactically calling someone a name does kind of end the conversation. I mean, the discussions, the debate's kind of over at that point. It's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm angry at you and you suck and so whatever. Um, Daniel Keem, by the way, in chat says, there are lots of viruses that have vaccines. It's the single-strand RNA genome viruses that we have a problem with. Oh, okay. Thank you, Daniel. I had no idea. Thank um, you, Daniel. All I know is that there's been no cure for the common cold or AIDS, and I know those are both viruses. My level of medical knowledge is uh, pretty low, so that's not my thing. Um, you know, Carrie, uh, in, in line with what you're talking about, <clears throat> I was thinking about this... Um, as an example of how culture is way more important than politics, as I'm thinking about how people are reacting to all this stuff, right, and just kind of embracing this uh, authoritarian culture and wanting to be good little, good little serfs. Good little serfs. <laughs> do you remember the movie? Do you remember the original movie? I, trust me, this is related. Do you remember the original movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still? Like the old no. one? No. Mm-mm. Um, no, who's in it? Uh, I think Patricia O'Neill, and I don't remember the the male lead. It's an old black and white movie. Um, but the movie, just like culturally, it was very popular. And it's interesting to see like culturally the difference between that version and the new version and just in, is a reflection of how our attitudes have changed as a culture. That version, I'm going to spoil it because it's an old movie. So if you know you've had 50 years or whatever to watch it, so if you haven't, you missed it. Too bad. <laughs> uh, uh, 
So in it, there's this alien comes down um, to the planet, and he basically the the whole premise of the movie is he basically says, "Look, you guys, you've got you're starting to apply, um, you know, you've got a lot of nuclear weapons and weapons in general, and you're starting to apply uh, some of your technology to space power." And, you know, as long as you're confined to your own planet and destroying yourselves, like, that's fine with us. We don't care. But uh, if you're going to venture out into the, the galaxy, then, then you're going to threaten other species with your violence. And we won't allow that. So what you have to do, if you're going to do this, you have to adopt our system. And their system was basically a simplified version of the non-aggression principle. Like, way back then, it was like, well, we have, wow, this, okay. we have these robots and they basically don't do anything unless there's someone who initiates the use of force and then they respond. And like and those robots have power over us and like they just rule us and that's it's like a it's like a libertarian's wet dream like achieved technologically, right? It's like, oh, we'll just make some robots and the robots can implement uh, the police, uh, and they, they only respond to violence. They, they left out some nuance, like, you know, what about fraud and that kind of stuff. But in general, it was basically like libertarian utopia was the, uh, was the status of all these other worlds. And he was basically inviting the, the earth to join the planets and agree to have these robots, uh, implement the non-aggression principle or, uh, face potential obliteration if Earth goes and does stuff, right? So he was there to save humanity, but really also to protect other planets from him, or from us, right, from from our aggression. And that was the, I assume that was somewhat reflective of the culture. It was a popular movie. I mean, I assume, assume it was somewhat reflective. The remake was with Keanu Reeves, who I like generally. Um, I don't know about his political views, but I like as an actor. I mean, he's not a great actor, but I just like him. I like him. Uh, yeah, but, um, in the new one, he was the alien dude and, uh, he explicitly was like, oh, I'm here to save the earth from humans. Um, there's a limited number of planets that can sustain life and you guys are screwing yourself. It was like an environmentalist message, right? It was, uh, it was, um. I guess Greta Thunberg's wet dream. I don't know, whatever. Like it was, a, it was an environmentalist message about how humans are destroying the earth. And by the way, in the old movie, um, in the old movie, in order to make his point, the the alien froze, it was kind of obviously techno magic, right? Froze all electricity on the planet for 30 minutes, right? Just to show that there were like these, this race of people was very, very powerful and you should probably pay attention to our recommendations, right? And so he froze okay. all the electricity, but he didn't, but even the exceptions were kind of cool. Like he didn't stop planes that were in flight or hospitals or things that, you know, he didn't kill anyone. He just f inconvenienced people by freezing electricity. In the new one, um, the new one's all about like, oh, he's decided that he's got to get rid of the human race and they're going to take all the other species off of the planet so they can basically eradicate humans and start over because humans screwed up the planet. So it's an, it's environmentalist uh, porn. And um, and at the end, the big win is uh, Jennifer Con I think it's Jennifer Connelly, if I recall. She convinces him that humans need a second chance and he says, fine, it will come at a cost. And basically he destroys electricity i don't know how they don't say but like all electrical things stop working all electricity stops working and that's the end of the movie and you can you kind of get the sense that the writers and the producers are like happy about this they're like yeah it's like man, human humans get to start over without electricity <clears throat> and we're supposed to be cheering this as like this <clears throat> win i guess and 
uh, this uh, win for environmentalism. And uh, this is what got me thinking about what we were talking about the other day with Greta and how they're shifting the the um, boogeyman from yeah. climate change to COVID. You know, I was thinking, so yeah. first of all, electricity, just to, just for those of you who don't know, I looked this up. Um, so electricity uh, basically came into commercial operation in the, in the 19th century. And the date of the first electric motor is 1821. I mean, there was some research and then... It, it, eventually, over the course of the 19th century, it, it became used industrially and, and even uh, to some extent by people, like regular people, um, and then obviously more in the early 20th century. The population was about a billion of the planet at the time. And so today we have, what, 7, 7.8 billion? I'm yeah. not saying electricity is Something. completely responsible for that, but... It's responsible for a lot of that. It's like cheap power and electricity. Uh, you take away electricity, you're you're. That's a death sentence for billions of people. Billions of people. It's not a nice to have. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this in terms of the climate change movement. And even though, uh, even though they don't talk about the importance of electricity, even though they don't acknowledge the cost to a lot of the climate activism that they're asking for and stopping burning fossil fuels or all this other stuff, even though they act like there's no cost, I think people intuitively kind of know that, well, you're asking us to give up electricity or at least curb it pretty significantly. Like rich people, you're just being asked to buy Teslas and pay some extra money. But like most people are being asked to actually curtail their power usage, which, which is dangerous and deadly. And the difference between this and the coronavirus is you're you're not being asked to give up electricity at all. You're just being asked to give up freedom. And I think culturally, <laughs> we've reached a point where freedom is less important than electricity for people. And that's a little bit depressing. But, you know, even just yeah. think about it yourself. Like, would you rather have freedom or, or electricity? I would rather have freedom. But that's a big statement because electricity is life-giving. Well, well you don't that this is what you've talked about before. People are willing to give up freedom because they don't think philosophically anymore. They don't think about ideas anymore. They don't think about, and they just repeat stuff they haven't thought through. I'm so tired of talking to people who say stuff like, uh, Oh, rights and liberties and the constitution. Right. And they, 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 they say it with disdain. With this, <laughs> yeah. They say it with disdain and they look down there and they even call the founding fathers idiots. And, uh, they look down their nose and, and they speak with such arrogance. And, and the thing is they don't realize they sound like morons when they do this. And again, I'm not name calling. So right now I don't want to say you are a moron, <laughs> but like, but you sound they, like they one. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. They speak with this unearned intellectual high ground. They don't, they're not smarter than the founding fathers that they're talking about. I mean, I can judge when there, there are definitely criticisms. Like you, I'm open to reading criticisms of the founding fathers. I'm not open to hearing some idiot who's never even read the bill of rights who's never read anything <laughs> right. from that time period, any document, just kind of spout off at the diarrhea of the mouth about well, the morons. Yeah, what have you read? What have you written? What country, what what, what uh, system of government have you envisioned that what, works actually, better? What, what, uh, what monarch did you overthrow and kick out of a landmass in order to establish your own country? Do you, do you have credentials to yeah. speak there? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, the, 
someone pointed in chat like with freedom you'll get your electricity back yes um i mean freedom is um freedom is really our lifeblood like the it's it's self-ownership and we have we've become a population of people who i think are just super happy with being wards of the state everyone they just seem to be happy being wards of the state and give me my netflix and my electricity and and they have they grossly so here's the thing I think with electricity, people fundamentally felt like they knew that it was bad to give up electricity. Like, uh, this this isn't going to go well for me. It's not. We need to use power, um, e even if they weren't conscious of it. Like, there's a kind of feeling that it's like very visceral. Like, look what happens. Even you can even watch movies like the new Dave the Earth stood still, and like you can kind of see like, oh, this is not going to go well, right? Like. We have no refrigeration. We, we have no, like, supply chain for things. All of the agriculture, like, industrial agriculture goes away. Like, people die and starve. Um, but with freedom, it's people seem to have been, not seem to have been, they have been brainwashed, mostly through public education, to view freedom as this trivial thing. Like, well... All the stuff around us would exist. We would still have technology. We would still have Netflix. We would still have the internet. We would still have modern medicine. We would still have, you know, the, the lifestyle we have. Freedom is just like this nice to have thing. It doesn't matter. It's not, uh, it's not fundamental to the success of America. It's not fundamental to really anything. You could also have communism. That socialism is a good idea. Blah, blah, blah. You could have all of this stuff. And freedom isn't, they don't see that. Uh, the power of of our society is not that we have tech. The power of our society is that we have private property. We have had in the past, at least, private property, self-ownership, and we've had the freedom to interact voluntarily with each other as we see fit, to build what we want, become what we want, and do what we want without interference from a police state. And... People take all this crap for granted. They look around and they they just this is the common this is the stupid communist thing. All socialists and communists are dumb in this regard. They mix up the metaphysical with the man man-made. They look out and they see a mountain and they're like, "Well, the mountain's been there forever. It just exists." And then they look out and they see Netflix and they're like, "Well, Netflix is just it's been there forever. It just exists. We need to seize seize the means of the Netflix production." No, it hasn't been around forever. It it was invented Humans, human freedom was required for that. If you're going to take away that human freedom and 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 self-ownership, you lose the products of man's mind. That's what you lose. You lose all of that activity. It doesn't, those things aren't just there. They're byproducts. And I and people don't know that. Or they pretend not to know it. Um, I don't care, are you still there? You seem to be blipping in blipping in and out. Yeah. Sorry, there's a guy here to spray for mosquitoes and tigers going crazy. Um, hey, can I uh, try calling you on this other phone now? Yeah, go ahead. I'll I'll uh, I'll entertain the kids. Gary's gonna call on another phone. Ninja Kitty uh, just gave us a super chat. Thank you, Ninja Kitty. Um, let me pull it up, put it on the screen, and read it. Where is it? Uh, oh, that was fast. Gary is calling back already. Hold on for a sec. I actually don't even know if I can answer this phone from Carrie. Hold on, guys.
Carrie. Sorry, everyone. Yay! Can you hear me and see me? All right. We hear and we hear and see Carrie now. Well, you guys don't hear. Here, I'll show you Carrie. Let's see if I can pull this back. Okay. Up. Thanks, guys, right. for bearing with us. We know we have issues. I have issues. There she is. There's her old. Hey, no pimple. It's gone. Um. Anyway, uh, I was I was reading a super chat from Ninja Kitty. It says after show vids on my channel of Sandykins fifty seven awesome work. Thanks to Little Ragamuffin too. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like uh, oh, a I do after show party going on. So you do know? I know what that is. Yeah. So uh, I saw it already. It's really great. Sandykins made some socks for Ninja Kitty. And I think it was as a reward for the contest that Little Ragamuffin ran in support of our channel. Oh, cool. And there's a video yeah. about the socks? Yeah, there's a video of Ninja Kitty unveiling the socks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like cool. a, socks, a socks unboxing? Yeah, so it's actually called right. the unsoxing. All right. All right. Um, if you guys haven't been, if you haven't been uh, in it already, we do have a Telegram channel with a chat for unsafe space. So if you want to interact with people outside of the video chat, if you want to just be a part of the chat, I've been in there. I've been catching up on it every day or so. Um, just what people are talking about. It's it's been really cool so far. I just like having like kind of what you I think what you envisioned it being, Carter, like building a small community of people and. Um, if you're not in there and you want to be a part of that, just uh, message one of us and get the link. I haven't been in a lot, but I do zoom in once in a while, and it's great. It seems like it's active and people are doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, thank you for those of you yeah. who are in that uh, group. And, yeah, hopefully it will grow into an even even bigger community. Um, you know, Carrie, I ha there's a couple – one of the things I was going to do today is there's a couple questions that people have asked. And uh, I was going to – talk through them, but one of them is related to what we just were talking about. So, uh, well, maybe, maybe now's a good time, but, uh, we, you know, it's, it's tangentially, tangentially related. Uh, but Beverly Clark, um, writes on one of our YouTube videos. Um, can you explain more about Hitler being a socialist on Carlin's bridge, uh, the divide page? I don't know. I guess Dr. K has a bridge to the divide page. Uh, I saw a convo back and forth about him being a socialist or a fascist. I thought both sides were making good points. Uh, and in practice, they end up looking the same to me. Uh, or was he both at the same time? Um, I think he was both at the same time. Uh, just Let's just do dictionary definitions really quickly here. Fascism, a government system led by a dictator having complete power, forcibly suppressing oppression, opposition and criticism, regimenting all industry, commerce, etc., and emphasizing an aggressive nationalism and often racism. Socialism, a theory or system of social organization that advocates the vesting of the ownership and control of the means of production and distribution of capital, land, etc., in the community as a whole. Um, and in Marxist theory, it's the stage following capitalism in the transition of a society to communism characterized by the imperfect implementation of collectivist principles. Um, so the thing with socialism, <laughs> ownership of the, and control of the means of production, <clears throat> uh, means of production, by the way, ultimately is the human mind. Keep that in mind. Uh, means of production is, is the human mind. Uh, in the community as a whole, the problem with this is the community as a whole doesn't exist as a single entity. There is no community as a whole. 
we don't as a whole make a decision. You could vote for things, right? But um, as a whole, the community is not a single-minded organism. And so uh, if you want to be a socialist and you want to implement socialism, <clears throat> what socialism never seems to talk about is the how, right? This is the what. Oh, we're going to have the means of production owned and controlled by the community as a whole. And that sounds nice, I guess, to some people. Uh, but they never talk about what that means because community as a whole doesn't exist. There is no entity of the community, as I said. So how do you do that? Well, you need some method of deciding what the community as a whole, who represents the community as a whole. The community as a whole can't act as a whole. Um, and so you have some people who um, step forward and say, I represent the community as a whole. Often that ends up being someone like a dictator. So this is where you get uh, Hitler, right? The, the National Socialists, of obviously, you know, of which Hitler was a member, right? Uh, the National Socialists were implementing socialism, but they needed someone to be in charge and speak for the community as a whole, quote. And that was Adolf Hitler. And he, quote, spoke for the community as a whole. Now, people will argue he didn't do a good job speaking for the community as a whole, and I agree. Uh, but you also have, like, this is how, what Stalin did, right? Stalin was speaking for the community as a whole. In some countries, Mao, similar example. Pol Pot, similar example. But in some countries, you end up with more, um, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union after Stalin, for example, tended to be less dictatorial and more uh, governed by, by the party and bureaucrats. So there was a little bit more complex system of people, but there were still the elites who were in control of everyone else. It just instead of one dictator, it was a, a committee of dictators, basically. And um, whenever you have a system that decides that individual rights don't matter, that individuals don't matter, but is based on collectivism philosophically, which communism and socialism are based on, as we just saw from the definition, um, whenever you have that collectivist-based uh, system, well, because the collective isn't an actual entity with its own uh, unique and solid, uh, in solidarity, doesn't have a, a will in solidarity, uh, there's no unanimous will in a community. Someone has to speak for that community. And so you end up with people who are like, well, I think there should be the, quote, benevolent dictator person, and that's who I think should be in charge, and he'll represent all the people. And then you have the people who are like, well, we'll just vote whoever the majority votes for. That will be whatever the community votes for. That will be, you know, it's dictatorship through um, majority rules. Both of them are abhorrent. They're both forms of dictatorship. Uh, you know, there's no difference between Fun, like functionally, there's not really a difference between, uh, you know, having Stalin uh, throw you in the gulag or, uh, you know, the Central Committee decide or the KGB's bureaucracy decide that you're a bad person. Um, it it doesn't really matter. But there there so that's why I think you know people argue this point about Hitler being a fascist or a socialist. It doesn't matter. Where this is a distraction. Both are forms of authoritarianism. Both are based on collectivism. Fascism is a method to implement, you know, you can look at it two ways. Either fascism is, is one method that socialists try and use to implement their socialist utopia, or you can look at it the other way and say socialism is one justification fascists use to seize power. Both are true, um, and both involve uh, the abdication of individual rights and uh, or the annullification of individual rights, the... the 
uh, violation of them and the uh, the secession of power to the state rather than to individuals. So they're basically both evil, and it doesn't really matter what percent fascist or socialist Hitler was. That's my answer. Sorry, Carrie. Wasn't your question. There's Carrie. Okay. Staring at the screen. Doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't care. Okay. Well, we weren't arguing about Hitler, so... All right, Carrie. More stuff. Let's talk about. Let's talk about some other stuff then. That's in the news. Um, you've you sent me a few. You sent me something. There's a couple other things that are in the news. Do you want me to just start grabbing stuff and and talking? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Here's something that's bothering me. So actually, Kent uh, Anufertruck gets uh, gets credit for this one. Um, <laughs> this was tough to read. This was tough to read. So this is an article from. Uh, the National File, which I don't know what the National File is, but uh, it looks like a kind of conservative kind of journal thing. Uh, the title is Far Left Magazine Shuts Down After Indian Migrant Editor Allegedly Rapes Antiva Activist. Okay, here's the alleged rapist, which I don't, I don't actually like that we're showing his face because uh, once you learn about the supposed evidence, you might not want to show his face. All right. So there's a far-left magazine, apparently, called Commune Magazine, and th 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 there's a reason why this is kind of interesting. Um, a report by National Justice has revealed that the New York-based magazine is closing its doors after Commune Magazine's editor, whose name I won't read, was accused of rape by Antifa organizer Layla Raven. Um, with regret, we're closing down, blah, blah, blah. In late March, Raven claimed in a medium op-ed that she had been raped by this guy. Uh, so I was like, well, this is, I clicked on the link. I'm like, well, let's see, let's see the accusation. Um, let's see her accusation. And so this article, it's a 13 minute read. So we're not going to go through the whole article, but, uh, let me just give you the gist of this article. And it really speaks to, uh, I think why so many people, there's, there's so many broken individuals in uh, in some of these radical movements. It's heartbreaking. So this person, she starts out saying, you asked me many times, why me? Why do you keep coming back? I told you that I was listening to my body and my body was hooked. I didn't know then, but I know now that when post-traumatic stress disorder is activated, I can feel a lot, it can feel a lot like being turned on. So she starts about, she starts talking about her, she was abused as a child. It sounds like she had a horrific childhood this woman horrific childhood abused as a child um into foster homes then ran away uh she's a i guess she's a sex worker now she says she, her own words she was using sex to survive at 15 right so just heartbreaking stuff heartbreaking stuff um and then uh was in a abusive relationships eventually became a parent which is you know, also heartbreaking in and of itself that someone with this kind of life decides that they would make a good parent, but okay. So she, she becomes a parent. Um, then she talks more about, you asked me many times, what's your type? What are you looking for? Um, you had red flags at the beginning. So all this to me sounds like there's a relationship happening, right? Everything she's talking about sounds like there's some kind of, kind of relationship. She's talking to this, 
this dude who allegedly raped her. Fast forward, I saw red flags, you were condescending, smirking, blah, blah, blah. Smirking was, we know, is a big sin. Um, you weaponized our intimacy. Okay, so she's now she's a, you weaponized our intimacy. Intimacy. Now, <laughs> interestingly enough, he actively weaponized their intimacy, but she didn't. When she did the same thing, it was for good reasons. I chose not to use that power as a weapon. When I did share, when I did the same thing, basically, I did not do it to cause harm, but to heal. Okay. Um, so, so far, the attitude, th this entire article is, first of all, it's very passive. It's very, she's very much at the affect of her entire childhood, which is heartbreaking. And I do understand, like, it, it's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking childhood, but she's taken basically no ownership from every, of anything. These all things happened to me. Uh, you weaponized intimacy, but I, I use the same thing to heal. Um, and then she just throws this out. After you raped me, that's it. That's the accusation. After you raped me, I was challenged to respond with actions. There is no description of the rape, no actual claims. She hasn't reported it because she's anti-incarceration. She doesn't believe that a jail should exist. Um, and so she goes on to talk about how, you'll love this, what did she do with him? Well, I wanted you to apologize. I wanted you to own and repair the harm you caused. I wanted to understand why. I asked you to read three short essays. She asked him to read feminist essays in response to being raped. She said, you raped me. Please read these feminist essays and answer four questions. What happened? What were you thinking at the time? What have you thought about since? How will we make sure this doesn't happen again? You said you were sorry. You said you read the essays. You said you'd answer the questions, but then you raped me again. But why? I felt like I need answers. Um, and she goes on to blame uh, what everything you would expect. Uh, we all breathe in air polluted by rape culture, white supremacy, cis-heteropatriarchy, ableism, ageism, and capitalism. Um, and she says, so the question is why, it's not why do people abuse each other, it's why don't we? And, you know, this, this article... And then, of course, then she politicizes her rape. Rape is a political act backed by a history of colonization and oppression. Rape is an act of war. You dragged me into this fight. I reclaimed my power through collective action. By organizing my community, I shifted the power imbalance between us. All right? Um, she says she doesn't want to name the guy who has now since been named because uh, communities should know that there, if there's a rapist, people say. But there's always a rapist. That's why she didn't want to name him. Maybe it's a roommate, a friend, a partner, a comrade. Making a list of every person who has harmed or might harm won't make us safer would all be on, on the list. So she thinks everyone's a rapist. Um, capitalist culture has instilled in me that I'm responsible for everything that happens to me. Uh, although clearly she's grown beyond that in most of this essay. The reason I want to bring this up... Um, oh, and, and, and by the way, this guy who is not white... Uh, she invites him. She invites the rapist. The invitation is open to leave this oppressive violence on the side of capitalist, white supremacist, cis-heteropatriarchy, and to join my struggle against it. So I, the reason I wanted to bring this article up, <clears throat> other than that it's just disturbing, is, uh, you know, it's really, I don't know what happened here. Maybe she was, uh, like, she may very well have been raped by this dude. We do know, uh, as we've talked about on the show before, um, uh, the radical left is certainly attractive to creepy males who um, who hide in the sheep's clothing of being feminists and use it to prey upon uh, 
vulnerable vulnerable women. So absolutely, she may very well have been raped. Um, of course, we don't know. There's no evidence other than she's saying, you raped me, uh, that's been presented. But the thing that really struck me about this is the the level of sad dysfunction in this woman's life and the lack of uh, the willingness with which to just make everything about society. Everything's about society. It's not about, like, things happened to her, uh, which were horrible. And uh, I think, you know, that's, she does deserve sympathy for that, absolutely. Um, but there's no there's no effort to actually grow as an individual and to like, oh, I went to therapy to try and overcome this and become a better person uh, or to not let this stuff affect me. Um, everything is about the community. Everything is about uh, cis-heteropatriarchy and capitalism. Her, her non-white rapist is the result of white supremacy somehow. Um, okay. What do Can you, I get jump in here? Thoughts? Yeah, please. I mean, that was a long, long summary and not to, not to, criticize you. I'm just, I was just looking for the basic facts. Was she raped? I, I was just looking at the article. I wanted to know the facts. Was she like, she doesn't, well, I mean, it's not a criticism of remember. me. It's a long summary because there are no facts. That's it. That's it. What you saw right. well, after you raped me even, was, that was it. Yeah. She doesn't even say like, if you're going to accuse someone of rape in the, like, I want to know what does that even mean? Cause people use it in all different ways now. And she doesn't, you know, there's no details here at all. There, it's not like we were friends. We had sex later. I regretted it. She doesn't give any or. Right. You and it certainly seems like that could be the case. Sex for me. Right. Like if you push me down and you forcibly raped me, that's rape. But if it's like we were friends and then, cause there's a lot of fuck. Sorry. Excuse me. My French. This, this is just a lot of rambling bullshit. Yes. Yeah, it is. But but it's typical of the mindset. And, yeah. um, you know, by the way, uh, we should say uh, shout out to Sean Welch in Super Chat. Uh, this sounds totally made up, Carrie. Can a woman say she doesn't believe in jails after being raped? No way that's possible. I don't know. People are messed. I don't, what do you think about that, Carrie? <laughs> that she doesn't believe in jail? Yeah, I'm sure there are some women who've been raped who don't believe in jail. I mean, people are, can believe all kinds of crazy things and hold contradictory stuff in their head or, you know, uh, but, but my, my point is if you, you're going to accuse this man of something, um, you know, I would hope that the public expects a standard of evidence beyond just this garbledy gook. Like, like how many words has she wasted here and how much, like we just talked through this whole thing and I don't even know, I still don't even know the facts of this. I'd have to sit down and parse through it and see. Well, you won't what's find any there. facts. You won't find any facts. All you'll find is a suggestion that sounds like they might have had a relationship. Um, no definition of what she meant by rape. No, uh, nothing further than the claim that he raped her. Um, as you know, and as you mentioned, we we've seen uh, in recent history lots of women deciding that like sex that they regret is now rape. So she could mean that. It, she could mean violent rape. We have no idea. She doesn't give any information. This article is actually not about that at all. It's about it's a um, a kind of in, a self indulgent. These are you know woe is me. This is my life, and this is a big community problem. And white cis hetero patriarchy. Blah blah blah. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing real here. She does say that she collected some information and gave it to his editors. 
um, that was like text and stuff. But unless he's texted things like "I'm raping you" or, you know, "Sorry for raping you," uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that would be quite a smoking gun. But I don't, I don't right. see anything like that. Uh, but nothing is shared. She hasn't shared anything publicly. Um, and there you know, are. Well, just to get to your point, there are a lot of creepy guys who are attracted to SJWism and to thirdism, intersectionality, all that shit. There's a lot of creepy guys. There's a lot of uh, guys who've been found to be, yes, guilty of rape, murder. There's that guy who uh, that that guy who killed someone who was a, a male feminist. There's, I mean, th- there's been a lot of creepy guys drawn to it. And I think if you look at SJW ideology deeply enough, you understand why. There are yep. guys drawn to it, um, but uh, because it, it for anyone who's asking the question why, because this is it, it claims to be about ending racism and sexism when it's not. It's it's a sexist and racist belief system. It, ju- it teaches you to judge people on the basis of race and sex while claiming to be about ending those things. But um, it actually is racist and sexist. But it makes a, it preaches a big preach. It make, it talks a big talk about ending racism and sexism. Well, where's a good place for male predators to hide out? I mean, right in the middle of a movement that says it's about ending sexism, right? Like, get kudos for standing up and being a male ally. And there are set rules you can follow. And, you know, there's a lot of creepos who are drawn to it, I think, who the ones who protest too much, you know, it's because they're hiding something. But but this guy, I have no idea. This is just a rambling screed of nonsense. Right. We have so, no idea whether he did or didn't. Right. <laughs> um, and um, and I don't... You know, one of the things is when you're when you're uh, when you're a beta male, you're looking for ways to differentiate yourself. And um, maybe I'm using beta wrong, but whatever. When you're, I don't know what the different levels are, but you know, when you're pathetic and you're looking for ways to differentiate yourself, and you find a group of women who um, are basically hostile to every traditional form of masculinity, um, and they are anti-alpha males generally, um, and it turns and you find out that there's some magic phrases that ingratiate you to them very easily, uh, like "oh, I'm a feminist" and blah blah. Like as soon as you, when you realize that there's this group of women who um, will, you know, you can unlock <laughs> you can unlock access to sex through some magic words that demonstrate your fidelity to their crazy ideology that most guys don't have that fidelity they don't most guys don't agree with um it's tempting for predators to go do that right um so this is it's kind of like we've talked about we've talked about the pickup artist scene in the past and my description of the pickup artist scene is guys who like look at the behavior of alphas and uh don't understand any of the reasons behind it but try to mimic that behavior um, it to me, I think it's kind of it's kind of similar. It's guys looking at this, understanding like, oh, what are the key words I can use um, to fool this person into thinking that I'm, uh, you know, the kind of person that she would spread her legs for to be gross. Can I switch gears here and talk about something you made me think of? Yes, please. So May is apparently borderline personality disorder month. Awareness month. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And none of you. Do we have personality disorder months for like mental things now. It's borderline. Okay. Or we have a month now for, for mental disorders. Okay. Yes. SJWs have established borderline personality disorder awareness month and nobody even got me a card 
or cake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So look, I, I'm trying to think of why it is that you, okay. Because, because this is why it reminds me of this, this sort of rambling airing of grievances without being specific, but you're like bringing someone into it and potentially damaging his character on some, something you haven't proven. And I'm sorry, I don't believe all women. I've seen enough women lie to know that I just don't believe all women. Anyway, to take it off of that and onto this other, th- it, it reads like somebody's like, this would be a good journal entry, right? Like your diary. And what I've been noticing is a lot of SGWs do these kind of, um, oh gosh, these like public blogging diary type things where it's almost as if the vomiting of their pain and their struggles is yes uh, yes enough for you to uh, you're supposed to bear witness and and be like yes queen t- telling us about your personal emotional stuff right and th- th- ian burns says i thought i was feeling weird yes you feel weird reading this because it's like reading someone's diary um i uh and and I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying nobody should ever write poetry or art or essays about horrible things they've been through. I I do. I believe people should do that. Sylvia Plath is one of my favorite poets. Like, I think you can do it. And but but I I appreciate the people who I there are some who are better at it than others. I appreciate the art part of it. I guess it's not enough just to vomit up. These are all the things I've been through. Um, anyway, I feel like social uh, justice warrior women are like like 13 year old MySpace girls who never like grew out of that phase yes. right it's just like that's yes, all it is yes this is like a tumblr blog there a lot of them are like tumblr blog people so so it's currently bpd month and i know this because i i'm still carrie uh, what are the symptoms of bpd uh bipolar well, disorder go, bpd let's go through it yeah okay so here, here's why i know this because i'm still friends online friends with many sjw's there are still some who haven't unfriended me um and so that's fine. I like I like seeing what they're talking about. And also, I mean, I still care about some of these some of these people. So I have this one friend who it's that's all she posts about anyway. It's every post is Instagram post is like about her mental illness. And and but now that it's BPD month, it's like overwhelmed. Now she has liberty to make every post over the top, and it's. And you need to understand what it's like for me as a BPD person. And I started trying to write an essay about this and I might still write one. It's just that I wanted, my first draft wasn't very empathetic and it sounded, I think a little too mean. And I didn't, I don't want to come off that way because I do understand the struggles of BPD people better than you might expect. Um, and I, um, my issue with it is this SJWism has, it, 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 it culture victimhood where you get status and applause and you get people standing there telling you how strong you are just by the vomiting of grievances just by the airing of and you it the more of these like victimhood oppressed categories you can check off the better the better the social standing in the ideology we don't we've talked about this before wait wait and can i have a, that can i ask provides- a quick question can I, I want to ask a question about uh, bipolar disorder is, is like, what are the, what are the features of it? Cause it seems like uh, the BPD people are kind of narcissists at some point sometimes. Can well, you just describe okay, what, gonna, what that is? I, I will definitely get into that. Give me just, let me oh, finish okay, okay, thought. Sorry. Okay. The more that you, you get these brownie points, you get these oppression points in the ideology. We know this, if, if maybe you're new to this channel, you don't know this, but 
the, they divide the world. They say the best way to look at the world, SJWs do, is as a system of power. It's a struggle for power between identity groups. It's like Marxism, but instead of being about class, it's about power and identity. So everything they look at is through these, it's like they put on glasses and they're always looking for the racism, the sexism, the the xenophobia, the, the Islamophobia. They're always looking for that. And everything's divided into these neat little groups. And you're, uh, if you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're a person of color, you're the oppressed. If you're if you're uh, not fat, you're an oppressor. If you're fat, you're the oppressed. If you're mentally ill is one of these now. If you have a mental disorder, you're one of the oppressed. So now that creates an incentive. You've now set up an incentive for people to, to want to be mentally ill and to want to stew in it if, and, to, and to wallow in any problems they have instead of trying to work through them and get over them. And, and okay, so now I'll come back to BPD. I'm, okay, I'm just okay. saying that because I don't think scroll through like the hashtag BPD Awareness Month on Instagram like I have because my <laughs> life is so exciting. <laughs> um, you will see posts which I don't think actually help anyone. I think it just keeps you there locked in it like a form of it becomes an identity. And then you, you, instead of trying to get rid of some of these characteristics, you cling to them. Okay, so here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some of them. So there are nine di- diagnostic criteria for BPD. It's borderline personality disorder. If you meet, I think it's if you meet um, seven or oh, five of them, they, if you meet five of the nine, they will say, okay, you have BPD. And, and here are some of them. Wait, wait. Um, you have, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's a, it's a disorder of the emotions. Um, you have attachment and abandonment issues. Um, here's the list. Number one, frantic efforts to avoid abandonment. That's like a number one thing would be BPD. Some of the best books written about it. One of them is called, I hate you. Don't leave me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's telling. I think. I have it here on my shelf somewhere. Um, okay. It's it's borderline people tend to are, react really emotionally over the top and push people away, and okay. then but then like freak out when those people actually leave. Um, okay. So frantic efforts to avoid abandonment. Number two, intense and unstable relationships. Number three, impulsive and risky behavior. Number four, distorted and unstable self-image. Number five, suicidal and self-harming behavior. A lot of BPD people claim to be, I'm not saying they're not, see them say, I'm also a cutter or I do this, whatever. Number six, intense and fast-changing mood swings. Number seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. Number eight, intense and inappropriate anger. Number nine, disassociative feelings that distort reality. Okay, so... If you check off five of these, then you they'll say you have BPD. But here's the thing. I have a family member who I'm pretty undiagnosed, but I'm sure is, I know <laughs> is BPD. <laughs> or at least nothing ever nothing ever made sense until I heard about BPD. I, when I was a kid, I was trying to figure it out. And I th- a lot of psychiatrists used to um, – mis um, like maybe misdiagnosed BPD as uh, as um, bipolar and bipolar didn't quite fit and narcissistic personality disorder didn't quite fit either there were always things that just didn't quite fit but BPD really fit 
And when I first started seeing a therapist, I checked off some of these. I don't check off many of these anymore. The thing about it is it's you it's an emotional disorder. It's not um, they don't even prescribe medication for it. It's not like it, it, they, they actively say don't give medication unless the person has depression or something else they're dealing with. And, and that's going to help. But in general, they cognitive behavior therapy, which is helpful for a variety of things, is the best thing you can do for this. You can get rid of these are behavioral loops you're in. You can change the way that you react to situations. So you can go through this list and you can start working on these things. But like SJWs don't encourage that. They want you to wallow in it. It's your identity. And right. and to right. a person who, who already has intense, crazy mood swings and like what better thing than SJWism, which tells you this is like a badge of honor and you're so marginalized and like you should post about it and let everyone see your pain. And you know, the, the, you're so different and you're, nobody will ever understand your special like level of hell that you have to live through. You're such a victim. And so there's an element of narcissism to it. You asked that. Yes. And I saw that in chat. Somebody asked that too. There's an element of narcissism to it. Um, and then this, this, what I'm seeing from SJWs who are posting during BPD month is almost a reverence towards it. And an expectation that if they share about it, um, it's like they're taking advantage of this hashtag and this awareness. Is it the best thing to be if you're SJW? Is it like a top of one of the, is it close to the top of the oppression hierarchy? Is it like? Oh my gosh. Yes, because no one can ever understand your special level of hell. <laughs> like the, you know, you're like a super special marginalized person because you suffer from this crazy, you know, emotional disorder that even most psychiatrists don't want to treat you. And that's true. A lot of psychiatrists don't want to treat you. <laughs> like, but, but uh, I, it, it, the point is, it's, it's okay. This is one of the best things my therapist, one of my, I, I had a couples counselor for a while who said this about something else, but, but it, it was so, I, I, uh, it, 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 st it stuck with me. It was really important. He said, a diagnosis is like a pair of glasses. We talk about ideology being a pair of glasses. A diagnosis is like a pair of glasses. And if it helps you to see something more clearly so that you can work on it and fix it, then it's good. And think of it like that because you can always take those glasses off. If you're actually fixing those things, then eventually that, that those, you don't need those glasses anymore because that what you're looking at is blurry because you've now improved those things. He's like, right. if it if it's the wrong diagnosis, try a different pair of glasses. That you should look at it like that. They don't look at a diagnosis as a pair of glasses. They look at it as a as it as a at it as a fixed identity. This is who I am, right? It's not who you are. It's, it's interesting. It's that not you say who that. you are. Yeah, no, I think it's it's just interesting that you say that because uh, I was just thinking. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but. A lot of these things, almost almost none of these, uh, and BPD being one of them, uh, th these these dis these disorders. I'm not saying they don't exist, but uh, they don't. Um, it's not like we understand the chemistry. It's not like oh, we can do a blood test for it or a brain scan and be like, oh, yep, this is the thing. This is what went wrong. You've got this problem, and you know we can correct it. This is um, in the world of psychiatry, often in psychology. They group categories of behavior together, and they just they need a label to call them something. And it's like, oh well, you behave in these ways. Let's call that borderline personality disorder because we need something to, to refer to people who act like this. But um, it doesn't. What I'm seeing is a um, 
is a an excitedness or a uh, a willingness slash zeal uh, to yes. embrace a dysfunction um, counter to the idea that there's any free will. Like the the I don't want to say this. You you behave you you behave how you have the free will to control how you behave in general. Like you you decide that. Now there are chemical imbalances. I think there are some psychological disorders that are, uh, like the the chemical causes are known. Um, there's like actual chemical issues and uh and and maybe you need some some help. But for a lot of these, this is just a way to describe your personality. I mean, it's right there in the name. Uh, it, what is it? Borderline personality, personality disorder. They're just talking about your personality. You choose your personality to a large extent. You are in control of who you want to be and how you want to behave. And um, the reason to group it into a certain thing or to name it a certain thing is because you recognize that there's problems you'd like to improve. And maybe people that have similar problems all behave you know, found this, the following things work well or whatever it right. is. And so like, oh, be be, here's you. some things that work for people like you. Yeah. Um, this is, instead, they're treating it like a genetic disorder. They're treating it like, oh, turns out I'm anemic. I'm like, well, well <laughs> it's not like you can't do anything about it. It's not, you're not anemic. It's not, you don't have a genetic disorder. This isn't a an unsolvable problem. This is someone has described your personality as, frankly, abhorrent to the point that it causes problems in your social relationships. You, you're like, that's not something to brag about. Uh, that's something to recognize that like, you got problems. We probably shouldn't need to interact with you or pay attention to you if you're this far gone until you correct those problems. But it's still up to you. And I, we tend to conflate I, we tend to take um, – people love definitions of things and, like, they love to categorize things and think that there's some kind of medical truth behind them. But there's not medical truth behind this. This is just – these people behave a certain way and if they – what would you say? Five of nine things or whatever. They're, like, five if they meet these five and of nine things, therefore, we'll call them this. Like, there's no understanding of anything underlying that's going on here. There's no deep understanding what's happening with you psychologically. They're just categorizing you based on your shithead behavior. And there's different there, kinds of being a shithead. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, Sylvia says you're being a little reductive, but I understand the point you're making, and I agree. I saying agree you're being it. reductive is not an argument. You have to make I, a better argument than that. Well, but it, so there are some, and to be fair, there are some uh, studies that have shown there might be some brain chemistry. Like, I think it's a different part of the brain that lights up more easily for BPD people. And, you know, there's obviously there's, Science is about trying sure. to help uh, also another way helping us understand and figure these things out, but it's not an identity. It's not like a death sentence. It's not like this is what you have to carry around with you forever. These are your nine characteristics. Now go preach about them and tell everyone what you're like and expect everyone else to change to accommodate you. That's kind of what, that's kind of the attitude behind it is if you read a lot of these posts during this month, it's like, Here's all of my copious problems and my my special unique mental disorder. And now that you I've made you all aware, I expect you all to accommodate me. Like that's the attitude behind it. Instead can of we have uh wait wait can we have can we invent um non-aggression principle disorder? Like I have a problem in which 
I only want to be in a free society where we have individual rights. So you're all going to have to adapt to me. I'm sorry. But, you know, stick me in an FRI, fMRI and, like, read me the Bill of Rights and watch my brain light up in certain – like, oh, well, it's a disorder. I, can, I can't live in your oppressive socialist utopia. Yeah, you should have – you should have uh, – I have um... – uh, liberty appreciation personality disorder. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> liberty appreciation what I need or whatever. You guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've got I've got liberty appreciation disorder. I need I need help from everyone. Um, yeah. You're gonna so have to I, not tax me to start because, you know, it really gives me anxiety. <laughs> I kind of I kind of just wanted to talk about it because I'm still thinking through it, and I will probably hope I think I'm gonna come back to this essay and try and rewrite it. It just my first take was the kind of more frustrated point of view. And I and then I reread it and I was like, no, this is lacking empathy for. And I do empathize with the, some people have described it like having um, third degree burns, but of your emotions. <laughs> and that's not a fun place to be. People who have BPD right. talk about how they feel things on a massive scale, like and even, um, you know, recounting the stories like this happened today. And if it's an emotional story, they are like re feeling all of it again. It's sometimes not even the best for them to like tell a story again about what happened. If they haven't learned how to like not ramp those emotions up to 20 on a scale to one to 10. <laughs> but, right. but the, again, the point being cognitive behavior therapy and uh, what's the other one? Di is it didactic dialectic? I think behavior therapy, somebody in the comments, let me know. There's another one for it. It starts with a D it, that are both about changing your patterns of behavior, like observing what your behavior is, thinking through the thought process of where that will lead you and making a different decision. And you can all, you can alter your behaviors. You can learn how to alter them. And I just, I just think SJW doesn't offer people anything positive. If you have mental problems already or emotional problems or personality problems, it tells you those things are to be celebrated. And this month, it, it doesn't appear to me, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody finds something that's been really helpful ab about it on the hashtag, but I was looking through the hashtag and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just a bunch of pain vomiting of people like, look at me, look at my special disorder, cater to me. I like you know? pain vomiting as a concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah i look and i want to you know people in chat are talking about schizophrenia and stuff i think schizophrenia is one of the ones that's a little bit better understood like chemically right um but you know like the, the other thing is like with chemical imbalances and stuff it's i don't think we understand neurochemistry well enough for a lot of them to know whether they're causal or it's the effect right so like maybe ha maybe behaving in a bpd way <laughs> causes the secretion of different chemicals in your brain like you know, yeah, maybe. We, we don't, also, we don't a lot know. Of people with BPD self, self medicate, like have problems with um, substance abuse. And, right. you know, what does that do to the, your emotional problems and your impulsivity, right? <laughs> what does that do to low your rest, unstable Low rest boy said weed helped my, his, his BPD friends. Yeah. I mean, I imagine chilling out helps basically most personality disorders. <laughs> like, I, I imagine that that could help. Uh, it has its downsides, though. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know, Carrie. Well, thank you for indulging me and letting me talk about this. I'm just kind of thinking about it and I'm going to say, no, it's good. I, I, I look, I wanted to, that letter was just so weird. That medium article was just so weird. And it was this like, 
I like I love the uh, I love the what would you just say pain vomiting pain vomiting <laughs> like <laughs> that's what it seemed like it's just like um and, and there's this element of like narcissism to it all right it's not pain vomiting she's not pain vomiting to her friend uh she's doing it on the internet and for everyone to see here's all my pain uh and she's not doing it in a way to be uh here's what i learned from it and how i can help other people who went through this it's just look at me i'm a victim yeah uh, so yeah uh <sighs> what else yeah. what else do we've what else do we want to talk about <laughs> we, wanna, we can Let's... do uh go ahead Let's talk about uh, the UN. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, we can. I, I can pull up this tweet. Uh, wait. Where's the tweet? I thought I could pull it up. I can. There it is. Uh, all right. Let's see. Here is the tweet. What you say matters. This is from the UN. What you say matters. Help create a more equal world by using gender-neutral language if you're unsure about someone's gender or referring to a group. I, their URL is unwomen.org. I think they mean UN women, but unwomen is funny. Uh, unwomen.org. <laughs> uh, okay, and so let's, let's go through. Here's their little graphic here. See if we can blow it up. <clears throat> Instead of mankind, say humankind. Humankind fail you win. uh instead of chairman say chair <laughs> instead of congressman say legislator instead of businessman say representative that's not a businessman a representative is elected <laughs> the hell's your problem un the un un literally knows so little about the free market that they confuse businessman with representative this is the first time i'm reading this list by the way uh <laughs> policeman with police officer um landlord with owner how's landlord gendered is lord a gendered thing i don't know oh, boyfriend lord, slash girlfriend with partner salesman with salesperson manpower with workforce maiden name with family name gotta be kidding me fireman with firefighter because <laughs> there's so many female firefighters husband or wife with spouse I don't know about you, but my my spouse happens to be gendered. Uh, so yeah, so I'm gonna go I, ahead and use what, that. a couple of uh, we talked about this a little bit in the telegram chat uh, for unsafe space this morning. Um, I'll just say a personal experience as an SJW for twenty years, I slowly started using a partner instead of husband. And I actually recall people like saying oh i really love that you say partner about your hut like you how get long ago was that carrie that. how long ago because because by the way i started doing that probably it was probably over 10 years ago and i was dating someone who was like social justice-y yeah uh, let's put it that way um and but i didn't recognize it at the time maybe it wasn't yeah, yeah but i didn't recognize it at the time and uh in retrospect she was very social justice-y but she insisted on partner um, and I do remember people being like, yeah. I love that you use partner. And I felt so cool that I used partner. Yeah. You get kudos <laughs> for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're totally. a good cis man. Um, I know. I didn't know I was cis. That, I, that but, was oh, no, I did know that. Anyway. Yeah, it was probably, it was more than 10 years ago. And, and, but it became so programmed in me that I only recently stopped using partner a couple years yeah. ago. 
um, I continued to use it. And the reason why, if you, again, we, we've talked about this before, but SWs are, SJW ideology is authoritarian in nature. It is about controlling people, controlling people's choices. And one way to control people is through language. Because if you control what they're allowed to say, you can control what they think. And so it's one of those ones that come, it seems innocuous at first. They get you to do it because they're like, well, partner's more inclusive. Remember this word, inclusive. While they're right. actively excluding right. words from your vocabulary, they're saying it's right. inclusive, but they're excluding words. Partner's more inclusive because then it can mean gay and lesbian or straight. Right. And they teach you partner. that using, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they teach you that, that what it really is, I think at the root of it, I think it is a part of this war that they've had on the category, the, the, the reality of biological sex itself. I think they just don't like anything having I think to you're do right. with biological sex. I think you're right. Sex. Well, and and they don't want to be, they're also hypersensitive to having like, oh, this person is different somehow because like, you know, they don't, you, they can't say husband. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what yeah. it is. Or boyfriend, so boyfriend. I don't... They, they're trans, so they have to use partner. So therefore everyone has to use partner. Just like I'm, I'm borderline personality disorder therefore everyone has to accommodate me like it's that kind of a right uh a thing but that's the other thing like in business partner means partner means my business partner also and i remember that being confusing because uh even though i was doing it at the time uh because it made my girlfriend happy uh I, i remember thinking like it was weird when i would go to business meetings and be like this is my partner i'm like but my business partner i mean my business partner uh like yes that's just what that means now like it should just mean that that's what that's what it means or you're and it someone confusing. in chat as your tennis partner but. well you know my you you personally know my old business partner and when she yes. and i oh wait so this has been more than 10 years ago because when she and i first started our company that was 2008 and whenever i would re- introduce her as my partner i, I forgot about this you had she to say laughed. I had to say business because I would just say, oh, yeah. it's my partner. And then she later she was like, they think we're a couple. And I was like, oh, and then I had to start saying like business partner. But yeah, it just it's it, the other thing about this is it confuses. I mean, they're all of their language controls are about confusing thought as well, about making things less specific and confusing yes. things. Right. It just it's. Yep. There are words, there are adjectives there for a reason, like little ragamuffin says in chat. Adjectives are because you want to be as specific as possible when talking and communicating thoughts. And we have the power of of speech, you know, and the ability to reason and to figure out which words uh, are going to get whatever's in our head to translate it as best as possible so people can understand us and know what we're talking about. And then we have this ideology telling us, don't be specific. Don't use adjectives. Don't do it, you know. Well, you really not. Yeah, there's a whole different. There's a whole different class of adjectives too, though, right? Which I keep yeah, the hat guy and I were having this conversation the other day, which is like, adver- adjectives are supposed to add specificity to like, add clarity, right? Uh, they're supposed to help concretize what you're talking about and make it more clear. But uh, the, the 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 way the left uses adjectives is the opposite. They use them to obscure. So, um, you know, I'm talking about. Justice, I'm talking about social justice. Like, oh, what's that? I'm not totally sure because you put the word social in front of it. And I don't know what, how those words go together and what they mean. Um, so, yeah, the left uses adjectives for the opposite reason. Um, I'm just looking, I don't know, I'm looking at these. I, the, the one that bothers me most is, is businessman and representative. I don't, and I don't understand the landlord one. 
It's, it's Lord. Because Lord is in there. Lord is considered male. Yeah. Is it? What's yeah. the female version of a Lord? Lady? A lady. A lady. Oh, because you say landlady. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you do say landlady. Aha, That's a thing. Lord. Like, oh, I have a landlady. Yeah, like totally you do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, right. so I'm working on a list, and I'm going to publish it later today. Of, uh, I'm going to do a pushback against the UN with my own list of adjectives, and some of these I've called from our little group. Uh, these are some words you may use instead. Uh, gentleman caller. I'm already past. I was in the gentleman caller stage of my relationship, but I've now moved on to the fella stage. Fella. Wait, what is gentleman is caller replacing, Carrie? No, I'm just saying these are gendered terms you can use to, in your relationship. Like, oh, okay. Just, just to push back on the idea, you shouldn't. Gentleman caller, fella, my old man. That's a good one. Uh, Keith suggested my main squeeze. Uh, but that's not gendered, chain. really, is it? Is main squeeze that's not gendered? gendered? Yeah, that's not yeah. gendered. But I kind of like that gendered. one. Uh, a bow. How about bow. my Remember? bitch? Can you use that one? <laughs> my little lady. My little lady. Uh, and mama bear. Okay. <laughs> mama bear. I think I think fembags should be on there. Fembag. <laughs> my. Oh, Sarah Beth Crafts just reminded me of an old SNL sketch. Remember that uh, old SNL thing, the Lord and Lady Douchebag? No. This was like way back in the 70s SNL. Anyway, okay, never mind. I, you don't sorry, remember. Sorry, I don't remember that. No, <laughs> no I don't remember. But yeah, they, look, these things seem innocuous. This is this is one of those things. I, I it, it seems silly to even criticize it, but it's not. It's not silly. They... they it, it's a slow boil. They have to change things culturally. We've talked about this before. Yep. You know, what was it? What was the Breitbart quote? Culture is upstream of politics. They change things culturally first. And so over 10 years ago, we, Carter and I, were both using partner. It had, it had seeped into the culture and it's been percolating there and spreading in the culture. You have to get enough people on board with it culturally. And then you start pushing it policy-wise. Then you have the friggin' UN putting out speaking guidelines about what you're allowed to say. And the AP, by the way, the AP did the same thing for journalists, giving them a new list of words to use. And one of the words they were told not to use anymore is mistress. Uh-oh. Yeah. What's yeah. my mistress going to do? <laughs> they have a, they have a, they're working on a PC term for mistress. You okay. know, um, my uh, my wife and I were talking the other day about uh, this. It's I don't actually have any thoughts on this. I just thought I'd bring it up because it was an interesting thing. So many really wealthy and successful men are really bad at managing their relationships because we were talking about Bezos. Like the guy is going to be almost be he's almost a trillionaire. Um, and what a disaster his relationship is. And it's just a reminder that like no amount of money fixes your screwed up psychology. It's like nothing fixes your screwed up relationships. The guy's almost a trillionaire and uh, still, still he's yeah. got his mistress thing going on. It screwed up his marriage. Uh, probably miserable. She seems worse than his wife by far. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, this is reminding me. Uh, you know, we were I'd just be talking about. Ahead. I was just talking about. That's funny. I was just talking about Bezos and his mistress the other day about that. Yeah. As and one does. 
wasn't he also, didn't he also get caught sending DPs? I think he did. And yeah, but didn't she also, wasn't his mistress, uh, wasn't she, wasn't she also the one that leaked a bunch of information? Like she's not a good person. She like yeah. did things, she like leaked information that hurt him. Or a friend did or something. But either way, the point is you're, yeah. you're the head of Amazon and the, and the Washington Post and all you're this huge and you work, you work. Your company's based in the digital sphere. You're a tech giant. Right. You don't it, like you don't send. I'm sure DPs. no one will get these. I'm sure nobody will get these DPs. Uploading my my nudes to the internet is not a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, here it is. Since I mentioned it, for anybody who's curious, the Associated Press put out a tweet. They said, uh, you know, they have the AP style book, the Associated Press style book, where they do updates on grammar and um, words that are appropriate to use and words that are no longer cool to use if you're a journalist. So the AP style book put out a tweet that said, we now say not to use the archaic and sexist term mistress for a woman in a long-term sexual relationship with and financially supported by a man who is married. What are you supposed to use now? <laughs> and instead use an alternative like companion or lover. Hussy. Hussy. <laughs> uh, this reminds so before um, before the show, I asked in Telegram if anyone had particular things they wanted to talk about, and little, little Ragamuffin said, "Why men need to stay men? Eat more meat and potatoes." I disagree with the potatoes part of this, but uh, <laughs> I, we can. This is the Dalai Lama tweeted something the other day did you see this no what is it i i don't even let me see if i can even find it uh hold on my tweet he tweeted something about women in power like we need more women you remember that song that we watched put a woman in charge basically basically that's what he tweeted but it it was a little bit more words but it was like put a woman in charge that was that was the just i don't know where i don't see the tweet um I just want, I want to share some stats with you. So here's why we need men um, to remain men, uh, as Little Ragamuffin says. Uh, men are aggressive. Yes, they're more aggressive. They have higher testosterone. They're more aggressive. They're more risk takers. Um, there's downsides to that, which means they tend to be more violent. Um, they also tend to be uh, better at taking risks, which some of those risks result in their death. Uh, and some of those risks result in massive payouts for humanity uh, through inventions or business risks or whatever. Um, they also tend to be, because they're aggressive and they, uh, are, they're more in tune to violence, and this means that they tend to be, I think, uh, the ones who are more vigilant to outside threats. So, um, you know, it's, it's mostly women saying, let's bring military-aged uh, undocumented men from uh, radical Muslim countries into the U.S. Like that's or into Europe. Like that's mostly women. It's mostly guys who are saying, "Eh, this might not be a great idea." Uh, you know, we we might have some problems. Um, but I wanna I wanna defeat this women would make great leaders thing. Um, maybe, maybe they might. I think it depends on the individual. It depends on the woman. But uh, just a food for thought here. Throughout history, queens more war, were more likely to wage war than kings. It turns out, actually, uh, women were 
women monarchs, now granted, we don't have a lot of examples in history of different uh, systems of government, but monarchy is one of the most common. It turns out that Europe's queens were 27% more likely than kings to wage war. So uh, the idea that if you put a woman in charge, suddenly there will be peace, love, and Shangri-La is false. Anyone who has ever gotten into an argument with a jilted lover or an angry woman or a mom uh, who is trying to protect her kids, uh, women are no cups of tea. They're not like, they're not the rational, even-keeled, peaceful gender that everyone wants to claim they are. Um, they're not, they're not, it's not better to put a woman in charge. Um, and obviously I'm speaking in generalities that every, you know, individuals are individuals and, and can defy, uh, gender norms, but you know, uh, there's a reason that there's a reason that we need men in Western, Western civilization. And there's a reason that we need women in general in Western civilization. And I'm not saying you have to stick to your gender role. That's freedom is freedom means you don't have to stick to your gender role. And, and I support whatever you want to do there. But uh, in general, we need both those types of people. We need uh, we need people with uh, traditional female traits and people with traditional male traits. The <laughs> utopia of androgyny doesn't work. And I just want to point that out because Little Ragamuffin mm -hmm. asked us to. Do you have any thoughts on this or no? You don't care. Well, um, it's funny. I shared and I like old photos and I like cowboys. And I shared an old photo of some cowboys in from like the late 1800s the other day at this little saloon. And it was a cool photo. And then um, little ragamuffin said something in the comments like, you know, back when men were allowed to be men. And then one of my friends got upset and he was like, why don't you just call us all uh, the F word? I'm not going to use that word. I just personally don't want to use it. Um, meaning gay people and why don't you call us oh. all that? And why don't, why don't you call Why don't you insult our, our D size too? And I was like, Whoa, why are you reading a lot Wait, into this? About, like, <laughs> he basically was saying that, that she, Oh, that she, why don't you just call us all gay men and say that we have small penises? And she was, and, and she didn't say anything like that's that. That's how all she he said took was, that. I don't understand why yes, that's, I don't either. I mean, actually, by the way, there I, are some very masculine gay men. Oh. Yes, it wasn't any, it, it was, it was a, it was a very much a, a kind of a like, whoa, like you're hearing something that's in your head that had, she yeah, didn't there's say. There's a dialogue going on in his head there. Yeah. Yeah. That had nothing to do with that. And, um, and I think, so I guess my thoughts on it would be when, when somebody says back when men were allowed to be men, it's not a personal attack on any individual man. It's more of like, it's, it's talking about a time when masculinity was not culturally under attack the way it is now. I mean, you know, right, it was valued. It was valued. And now it's viewed as this toxic, oppressive, you know, thing that needs to be beaten out of men and bred out of men. And, and you know, that's what that nostalgia was for, a time when men were allowed to be masculine without it being, you know, criticized as as something oppressive and evil. And right. so that, that's my thought on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it is really, it is really a war on masculinity that we're. I mean, we've talked about this with the. We had actually Tom Golden on a while ago for new listeners. Um, that was a long time ago, but you should go watch that episode if you want to. Um, but we talked about the APA's guidelines uh, that came out for for uh, 
therapists in relation to boys and men and uh, how really the the war on masculinity has been institutionalized at this point. And it's it's intentional. It's there and it's intentional. And, uh, you know, men are viewed, boys are viewed as broken girls. Um, little boys especially, they're viewed as broken girls. Um, and yeah. uh, and it's, it's devastating. Uh, it's devastating. And I think one of the problems is when you when you mistreat young boys, sometimes you end up with uh, more effeminate or uh, compliant men, but sometimes you break them and it goes the other way and they end up being uh, extremely violent in response, right? Um, and so, you know, the, the men's capacity for aggression and violence is... Uh, needs to be channeled, just like women's capacity for nurturing needs to be channeled, right? You don't want, uh, you don't want a society with no capacity for aggression, uh, because that society will <laughs> lose when Attila the Hun comes knocking, right? You need, you need capacity for aggression in society. You need that. Um, you also don't want a society with no nurturing, uh, because that society's children will grow up unloved, unwanted, and probably criminal. So, you need both, but um, yeah, we yeah. seem to be in this war against one, not the other. So. Yeah, you know, they never talk about toxic femininity, and that would definitely be um, I, one thing I definitely I, I wanted to mention in this show before we sign off is we were talking about this in the Telegram and Safe Space chat. There's another. There's always an SJW mob brewing over someone online, and currently. They are attacking a another sewing uh, pattern maker like Little Ragamuffin. Little Ragamuffin actually brought this to my attention. Uh, it's a it's a pattern maker called uh, Lowland Kids. They do kids patterns, and okay. they're currently being mobbed on their Facebook page and in a private Facebook group um, by. And here's what's interesting. Little Ragamuffin found out. She didn't know this. She didn't know this when she sent it to me, and I didn't know this or anything. But that indeed, these are the same exact people, not just that they're the same in terms of ideology, they're the same exact people who attacked her business. So one of the ringleaders wow. against Little Ragamuffin's business is also the ringleader here. And uh, so they, they sent in people, they sent in SJWs to start accusing this pattern maker of not featuring enough people of color in as her models, modeling the designs, right? And the woman who voiced the initial complaint, who was one of the ringleaders against Little Ragamuffin, is a black woman who uh, sent in her photos late, which is why they weren't included. Um, but instead of just say, like, that's a, it, instead of hearing the factual reason why your photos weren't included, she decides to make it this huge thing about like, oh, you're a racist. And it's like, no, I'll, I'll put your photos in the next one kind of thing. You know, like, are you kidding me? Like, but the funny thing here is it doesn't matter if you if they had a ton of people of color as models or not. I don't know if you guys turn your mind back to just, you know, a short four or five months ago when we were talking about the pile on and Little Ragamuffin site. Little Ragamuffin had a pattern called Good Old Boys, and that's what they were up in arms about was the name. They said it was, quote, problematic, even though Little Ragamuffin did have several models who were people of color who modeled her clothing. And in that case, guess what they said? Oh, you're using people of color as tokens. So if you don't <laughs> have them, you're racist. If you have them, you're racist. It doesn't matter. They're, they're going to come after you. Because the point is, it's not really about anything you've done at all. It's about 
them flexing control, trying to get control over your business. Um, for people who are being hit by these mobs and have no understanding of what this ideology is, the, these lowland kids people, I feel for them because if you are a good person and you're trying to do the right thing and you have no, you're just operating, you're busy, you have a small business you're running and then you start getting people complaining and you're like open to listening to people and you're very, you're not racist and you're worried about people thinking you are and you start listening to these things and you take these people at their word, which is the first mistake. And you're not aware of what this is, that this is an ideology, that these are activists, that this ideology is based in resentment. It's based in resentment. It's based in control, authoritarianism, trying to control you. And it is ultimately based in racism and sexism. They teach everyone and they're telling you that you should look at the world through a lens that judges people on the basis of race and sex while claiming to be against those things. Um, if you get hit with all this and you're like blindsided, I totally get why some people bend the knee and bow and scrape and apologize. And so this person is currently being mobbed. Um, someone asked me in the telegram chat, do you think these SJW mobs are mostly happen in communities with women? Yes. That's a, that's talk, but if, if I don't call it that, but I mean, for as much lip service as they give the term, the new term that they invented toxic masculinity, they don't give any lip service to toxic femininity. Well, Hey, this is a way in which I see women, women's, um, uh, ability to be toxic. Uh, women can be vicious. I mean, look at mean girls on display. Right. Anybody can be toxic, men or women. But if you want to start labeling things that way, and I don't, but it, but look at the, this is these, this is, this happens in communities of predominantly women. It's a toxic way of bullying. It's exactly how, yeah, like you said, mean girls, this is the way women bully. They pile on you. They try to destroy your reputation. They try to, in this, the way that it currently is, made, they try to destroy They try to destroy oh. your business. They try to destroy your ability to make a living. Um, and, you know, it remains to be seen how Lowland Kids is going to respond to this. But I have a feeling they're probably going to go the way of Sistari Yarns <laughs> and roll over and apologize. Uh-oh. And we wait for Carrie to round up Tiger. I'm sorry. The mailman's That's here. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch topics for a second uh, because uh, this is it's bothering me. I'm gonna kind of go back to COVID for just a second because there was a report that came out um, that said uh, who did this study? Hold on here. Uh, okay, the study says I'm gonna look at it here. More than 100,000 small businesses have permanently closed due to coronavirus, uh, a new study estimates. estimates. <clears throat> um, the study is by Harvard Business School, and they're talking about, uh, I mean, the headline, the, the, the meat is in the headline, right? More than 100,000 small businesses have permanently closed uh, in the U.S. This is just in the United States. This doesn't include other places like uh, New Zealand, for example, which uh, has undergone its own uh, problems recently. And, you know, one thing that really struck me about this is, do you remember last week we talked about uh, Tesla, Elon Musk complaining that he wanted to open the Tesla plant in, uh, I think it was Fremont or whatever. Yes. You know, he got to open it. They they conceded because Elon Musk has a lot of money and influence and power. 
and so even though uh, I think it would be really tough to argue that making Teslas is more important than your local pizza shop, uh, <laughs> apparently uh, it is because Elon Musk wins. And this is part of the uh, part of the way that the part of the way that fascism happens is uh, you want to consolidate power in large companies. And so you expand government, you want to you want to consolidate power in larger companies. And one of the ways you do that is you make it you pass a lot of regulations. And um, those regulations are harder for smaller companies. I mean, traditionally, this is what's happened. You've passed regulations, they've been harder for smaller companies to comply with. And therefore, um, smaller companies go by the wayside and larger companies can can afford it and there's regulatory capture, which we've talked about in the past. And so you end up when you have a cronyist system or a semi-socialist system or you know a giant uh, government that's heavily you know with industries heavily regulated, you end up with uh, fewer large players and not as many um, small players. And this COVID thing adds another dimension to this, which is kind of by default, ruling that everything's illegal. Uh, but if you've got enough pull, if you've got enough clout, if you've got enough power, then you can get an exception and open your business as Elon Musk did with Tesla. And um, I haven't seen a lot of articles about him complaining about the shutdown anymore, although uh, maybe maybe he has continued to complain, but he got what he wanted. He got his plants to open up. And this is um, this is how this is how this is one of the ways that fascism gets implemented because it's easy to control a small number of powerful players. It's much harder to control a hundred thousand businesses. And by the way, I think that hundred thousand number is small. Uh, I think it's going to be much worse, much worse because of the cultural changes we've seen here. Partly, but um, you know, you've got states. That you also had a moral hazard in the U.S. I don't know if this is true for New Zealand, maybe or, or other places. Someone can tell me in uh in chat but you had this interesting thing where governors had no incentive to keep businesses open because all they're going to do is destroy their own economies but then they're going to turn to the federal government for bailouts so they're like well i'm gonna you know we're gonna destroy our economies and of course our workers get to keep going state workers get to keep getting their paychecks because they're essential so uh, the government gets to keep operating. They destroy the economy, which destroys their tax base. So then they're going to have a tax shortage, and they're going to appeal to the federal government for um, a windfall of cash to cover the shortages. And this is a moral hazard because it means, you know, the right thing for the federal government to do would have been said, like, well, Jay Inslee or Gavin Newsom, you want to close down businesses in your state? Fine. I mean, if the federal government's not going to say that's unconstitutional, which would be ideal, but if they're going to just let states do their thing, fine, you can do that. But we're not saving your ass. You're destroying your tax base. So like, go ahead, but we're not going to cut you a check when this is all said and done. But instead, what we've got is uh, a Federal Reserve that seems to be intent on printing money to solve every crisis, trying to outrun inflation uh, or inflationary effects, which is impossible ultimately. And they're just going to bail these states out. So none of these state governors have any incentive to do anything but just exercise power. They can uh, they can have their little authoritarian fantasy and close down beaches and businesses and everything else. Um, and, you know, the harm they're doing to their own states, they don't have to actually deal with the consequences of that harm. They don't have to even 
have it. They just have to go appeal to the federal government, and uh, the reserve will print some more money and hand it out to states. Uh, it's pretty horrible. Um, and and eventually, this printing yeah. of money. Go ahead, Carrie. Go ahead, Carrie. Sorry, well, Marie, I didn't realize you're back. Marie, Marie says in chat. Uh, New Zealand has been printing money and pumping and pumping it into failing businesses in a vain effort to keep them going, give them a taste right. of the state, and get them hooked. Which is yes. Yeah, of course, um, that's what they want. They're right. They want everyone to get this idea that like, oh, we have an income that comes from the state. Um, and uh, Sarah Beth Kraft mm-hmm. says, Illinois business owners face two years in jail and a twenty five hundred dollar fine if they open, and if you post on social media against the government, you face jail time. I this mean, is that's authoritarianism. Constitutionally, but yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is fascism. You're seeing it. People misuse that word for two years. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, it you're, is. You're seeing it. Yeah, this is what fascism is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand how it's 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 weird when the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, whenever that was, when that hit, there was at least some mainstream economists that were that were like hey, you know, I don't know if we can keep doing this quantitative easing forever. Like, eventually we'll have to pay the piper, right? There was at least a little bit. I mean, they did it anyway. We did quantitative easing. We printed money. Uh, But at least there was some kind of skepticism that, you know, the drugs can't keep flowing at this party forever. We're going to, like, eventually go through rehab. Um, This time around, there seems to be nothing from the mainstream financial community. They're all just like, you know, yep, let's just... Roll the press. Roll the printing press. We're just going to print dollars. It's going to be great. Uh, we can do this indefinitely. Uh, and, you know, you can do it. We can do it until the people that uh, hold the U.S. debt stop letting us. By the way, one of those major people, China, major countries is China, one of the big debt holders. Um, you know, we're getting away with crap. The U.S. is, you know, we have reserve currency status. And so... We print, but at least in 2008 and 2009, we were kind of telling people, well, yeah, we're expanding our monetary supply, but don't worry. We'll, like, we'll pay for it later. You know, We'll pay the interest and we'll pay for it later and it'll happen. Now we're just kind of saying to the world, like, we don't ever have to pay this. And I, you know, at some point, especially if we're starting to uh, stifle some of the global supply chains because of coronavirus, at some point, some of these debt holders are going to be like, well... If you're never going to pay your debt, if you're never going to, like, if this if this, if this is worthless paper you're printing, why am I holding your debt? Like, why? Yeah. I, I mean, the U.S. dollar, someone just in chat said, I think the U.S. dollar is toast. I, I agree. I don't know when it's toast, but it's toast at this point. I mean, it is. I, I don't know how the U.S. dollar can survive this, uh, ultimately. I mean, it'll survive for a while because it survives on fantasy for a while, but eventually people are just going to, you know, someone's, some debt holders are going to just like, screw it. I don't. I don't want this debt anymore. I'm not going to buy the U.S. government's debt anymore. And I'm not going to, you know, at, at some point, someone will even write off our debt or try and collect on it. I mean, I don't I don't see how this is sustainable at all. And the answer is it's not. And we just all have our heads in our sand, in the sand, uh, stuck in the sand. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, we've got we're just we're literally destroying the economy intentionally. We're shooting small businesses metaphorically, uh, which are the backbone of this economy. And um, we're going to lose, we're going to have, we already have massive unemployment. That's going to get worse. These businesses aren't going to reopen. We've convinced a bunch of Karens in the world to be frightened of their own shadow. Like they're afraid of every little germ that's, uh, it's, it's like, 
it's like suddenly the world turned into, you know, massive OCD hand washing, hand gel using, don't breathe on any, like totally paranoid. Worse little secret police who call and snitch on. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, if you think modern civilization can survive this way, you're, you got another, you got a lesson coming to you. This, our lifestyle, our modern, like modern civilization, our standard of living, you can't survive in this kind of an environment. You, you can't, this won't work. This will not work. It's not sustainable. And I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why. Uh, I do understand why the market isn't crashing completely because the Fed is propping up the market and literally buying company debt now, which makes no sense, which they're not even authorized to do. Uh, but, you know, they're trying to pretend that the economy is fine by propping up the stock market. The stock market is not the economy. Uh, the economy is not fine. And um, I, I don't know. That's just doomsday stuff. I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. But let's not go down that not road good, right Carrie. now. Yeah, sorry. I know it's I, not good. No, it's not good. <clears throat> I said I, I shared that article about 100,000 small businesses yep. that have gone on under that's just the beginning we know this is just the beginning there are two that i i can think of off the top of my head in my little town that have gone under yep. there's going to be a lot a lot a lot of destruction as a result of this and those people who want to sit on their false moral high horse and talk about how they're the ones that care about people i again i struggle i struggle with contempt for them because um, it's like we took a brush fire and we all agreed it was a brush fire. And then you guys told us we had to douse it with gasoline. And this and and we just made everything exponentially worse to such a catastrophic degree. I can't even wrap my head around it. And they don't want to wrap their head around it. They just want to ignore it. And when it's all based on this stupid, stupid premise that things are just going to be the same like that that like the standard of living doesn't take anything like it doesn't take anything to keep things the way they're running like we can just you know a quarter of the population can be out of work and it doesn't matter like we can we can close 100,000 businesses to start with and more and it won't matter the government can just print money and like nothing will change significantly like this is your moment people this is the beginning of the great depression like things are changing and uh you know, anyone who says otherwise just doesn't understand uh, what it takes to run um, a modern economy. Like you can't, you can't do this. You can't, you can't do this. And so I, I don't know how, why is a stupid fucking flu? <laughs> like, even if it's a mega flu, it's not worth it. It's not worth this. Yeah. Yeah. Cemetery of Choice says it's more like they bulldoze the entire country to stop the brush fire. Yeah. It's more like they... Yeah. Or they set everything on fire so the fire wouldn't take it. They'd set it on fire themselves. I um, uh, Ian also says we've come full circle, so we should probably wrap up soon. But I, I did want to say probably. one thing. Um, uh, somebody in chat, where is it, said this is what – I can't I can't see it right now. There's too many. You guys are great. All, all kinds of comments. Somebody says – oh, Daniel Keene says this is the desire of the far left. If they can't have their way, they want it to burn to the ground. The problem is you can't push for my way or burn it to, burn it down will always end in destruction. So I just want to share something anecdotal um, quickly. Uh, this friend who I had dinner with recently, I, I told you about this. I'm, I, there's one part of the conversation that I really want to talk about though because it's fascinating to me. Um, 
this person supports the lockdowns, also believes the lockdowns haven't gone far enough, believes that we need martial law, wants to see men in the street with guns, and praised communist countries as having handled this the best. Um, so that's telling you where they're coming from a little bit. But and and when and we were talking about one of the salon owners in Texas who opened up um, even with threat of arrest and and uh, you know the one who ripped up the the judge's orders on camera that really brave salon owner who opened up. Yep. We were talking about that and he was using the argument that a lot of the people who support the lockdown do. He was like. You can't have it open because if, it, if people are too stupid to socially to voluntarily socially distance and that salon owner is putting hundreds of lives at risk, hundreds of lives. So it's couched. It's presented to me at the beginning of the conversation as if I believe this way because I care about people's lives. That salon can't be open because I care about people's lives. Well, I have right. problems with that argument anyway. But what was revealed to me later in the conversation is that's not true. And because later in the conversation, this same person said, secretly, I hope this kills as many people as possible. I hope Wait, this they, wipes. They said that out loud yes, to you? Yes. Yes. I hope this wipes as many people as possible off the planet. And wow. when I asked why, because I was just like kind of asking questions and letting them talk. And it was like, uh, when I asked why, it was, uh, well, we deserve this. Um, we're a country that's become focused on the wrong things. We're cons too consumerist. We're too tied to our devices. We need to get back to the basics. Like, um, and we're more and, tied to our devices now, by the way. That's right. We are. But uh, it it what I appreciated about this conversation is that that eventually it came out that that he was this honest. person is, was honest honest about it honest about it, and I appreciated that because I suspect I don't know, but I suspect that a large portion of the people who support the lockdown are similar and that maybe they don't even know it to themselves. Maybe they're not even honest with themselves. And I'm not saying all, I know there's a lot of people who support it out of like, because they've had their fear stoked by the media and everything. And they're just operating purely on fight or flight fear right now. But there are some people who support it who like this person who I think deep down want to see the destruction of everything. It's based on a resentment. And it's based on what Peterson talks about, like a, a resentment of being. It's the same resentment that fueled the Columbine shooters. You know, those guys in their journals, they wrote about wanting to take out as many people as possible with them. That's what this person said. I hope this virus takes out as many people as possible. I think it's the same resentment that fuels the left generally, Carrie. It's I crazy. I think that's the characteristic uh, um, emotion of most leftists is resentment. Right. They don't want uh, if everyone's standard of living gets goes up, but as a result, income disparity also goes up. They don't want that. Uh, they 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 are they resent uh, inequalities. They, they resent, uh, they resent yeah. anything, you know, they just want they want destruction of everything. It's the only well, uniting thing they have is destruction of the West. Um, I have a little minor point with people in the comments. So someone says uh, this these, this type of person is dangerous. Yes, I agree. Because that belief is dangerous and resentment is dangerous. Somebody else said you've met an evil person. I don't agree with that. But this is a long standing debate. And I don't want to go down that. But Carter and I disagree about this all the time. I don't think people are evil or good. I think they are animated. They can be animated by both. We are all capable of both. And actually... I'll put myself out there. Part of the reason I suspect this resentment resides in people is because I know it intimately. 
I used to have this resentment. I used to have a resentment towards being. I remember back when I was in SJW, part of me, I, I've always loved and I still love uh, post-apocalyptic fiction. I love zombie novels. It's my favorite kind of monster, like for a lot of reasons. I just, I really, that's been my jam in terms of uh, horror and fiction, right, is post-apocalypse. Yep. But I enjoy it now for different reasons. I used to really, I used to really, there were, there was a part of me at times that wanted everything to burn, that wanted everything to, uh, I resented the state of being. I resented our current, the way that we currently live. Um, I think this guy has some good points about us being too consumerist. I agree with him on a lot. I agree with him about the way we're tied to devices and everything. What I don't have anymore is that resentment towards the state of being and resentment of life in, in general. And I think that that is, if, if he could, or if people who have that could see that for what it is, then I think they can let it go. But, but too many people can't, it's what Peterson talks about, what Carl Jung talks about getting in touch with your shadow self. If you don't acknowledge that you have a shadow self and you can't even see it for what it is, then you're a dangerous person because that shadow self can control you and you're not even aware that you're capable of it, that you're, you know, that you're capable of those kind of thoughts or so I don't know. It just made me think about it a lot and it made me wonder about how many people who support this lockdown are animated by just a deep, dark, dark hatred of humanity and of, of being, of living, of existing. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, when I say when I say people are evil, or I think when most people say people are evil, maybe this isn't true for everyone, but when I say it, uh, I don't. I'm not being. Um, I'm not. I'm not being absolutist about it. I mean, like yeah. they mostly behave in evil ways. Like that makes them an evil person overall. It doesn't mean they don't do anything. You know, good. They might stop to pet a puppy someday or whatever. Like they, you know, it doesn't mean they're 100 percent evil. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think I agree with you. It's important to, Oh, um, to know that. Well, but did you see but, what duty rate it said? Your friend is right. The way Theodore Kaczynski was right. The Unabomber. Yeah, that's exactly. Yes. Yes. The Unabomber had a lot yes. of great points. He was right about a lot, but what, his methods were evil. The, the right. he allowed evil to animate him and he tried to kill people. Like he wanted to take out people, yeah. right? Like, you can have the right you can you can have you can be right about some things and completely wrong about your the way that you choose to interact in the world and to respond to those facts right 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 and I'm people sorry, I think in general would still call him evil they would yeah. say well Ted Kaczynski was evil uh, but yeah um, by the way uh, just cuz i think we should thank ninja kitty who gave us a super chat uh, oh thank you ninja kitty ago. Again, uh, it was on the screen for a moment. Also, I, Kent, I think, is asking you, Carrie, if you're a Resident Evil fan. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, oh, I was going to guess that you weren't because remember when I tried to do, I tried to use the Resident Evil music for our intro and you did not like it at all. Maybe it just didn't go. I probably the, didn't just like that music. Uh, I love the Resident Evil movie. I've played some of the game. I have one of them. I forget which one. But I like the one where she wears the red dress and the black boots. That's the I'm just moment, all about think, the right? I'm just all about the Resident Evil fashion. I'm kidding. <laughs> Great. Great. 
on that note uh <laughs> maybe we should wrap it up you know I, i'm i'm uh carrie i'm there's one other question that i want to talk about but i don't know i don't know if i should do a separate show about it uh, or i don't know if i should do it like let you what go and do it it's about it's a question about the atheism thing and i don't want to have a god debate i just want to answer the question about it but it's a long answer um why don't what do you, you want me do to do it and i'm gonna go to the bathroom and i'll come back and if you're still talking i'll say something <laughs> all right i'll do that that'll be say goodbye to carrie everyone this might be the Bye, end you'll see her today but uh <laughs> sorry Bye. i just i want to answer it um but good i love you carter go ahead and answer it all right all right um <laughs> I won't say who this, uh, this comes from someone named Michael, um, but it reflects uh, a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of similar questions about, this, this is this is in relation to the show we did uh, where uh, Julianne Davis uh, tried to have stage an intervention for me and, and talk about Christianity because I'm an atheist. Uh, and so I'm gonna. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but uh, he says um, he talks about that he was raised religious, also um, a little bit different than me. Um, and then he says uh, he went through an obnoxious atheist phase. Uh, thankfully, I'm no longer a religious atheist. Uh, instead, I settled into an agnostic slash atheist state of belief, and this is the core of my question. I'm surprised when you said that you know for certain that there is no God. I'd like to know how you came to that definitive conclusion that there is no higher power rather than accepting that it is highly unlikely but ultimately unknowable. And then he talks about, uh, he likes uh, Jordan Peterson's perspective about religion, which I agree with. I also like it, uh, and I've talked about that. Um, he talks about objectivism a little bit. But I, I want to answer that core question because I think a lot, I, I think that triggered a lot of people. Like, how can you know? Um and there's two things I want to say about that. Because I think even Julianne Davis would be happy if I said, I'm an agnostic. Uh, that would make her happy. Um, there are... I, I said that intentionally because I wanted to have a... We ended up not really having this discussion on the show. I wanted to have a discussion about the nature of knowledge. I wanted to have an epistemological discussion. Um, because we use the word know and don't know and uncertain. We use these words, and I, wanna, uh, I wanted to talk about what they mean, um, because if, for example, you say you can never know anything, then uh, that, that statement is kind of a self-imploding statement, because in order to understand the statement, I've got to kind of claim knowledge of language and that I understand what you're saying, and like it's the word knowledge has to mean something, right? Um, so uh, th there's basically three different kinds of statements. And this is what I wanted to get at. There's statements that are true. There's statements that are false, regardless of whether we know they're true or false. It's just, uh, this, isn't, this isn't about like what we know, right? There's just, statement can be true. A statement can be false. A statement can also be arbitrary. Um, so they, there can be arbitrary assertions. And in the video, I brought up an arbitrary assertion that was intentionally ridiculous. I think it offended some people, but um, I wasn't trying to necessarily make a God comparison, but I was, my arbitrary assertion was something about a Martian eating Pop-Tarts or something uh, on, on the dark side of the moon. And I, that statement actually, the claim, an, a, a random claim like that, like a ridiculous random claim like that, um, technically that statement is neither true nor false. 
It's just an arbitrary assertion. Um, and because it, because it has no, there's no evidence, right? There's no, there's, there's nothing that would make it even enter into the realm of needing to be considered as true or false. It's just a, an arbitrary assertion. Um, and, but I could say something like, you know, kids might say this, like I didn't eat the cookies, right? Uh, which maybe they say that they're lying, right? That's a, that statement is false. Um, it does relate to some, it's not arbitrary. It's related to context. Like there's cookies missing and they've got chocolate on their face or whatever. Like it's not an arbitrary statement. Um, it's making a claim. It's making a claim about reality. And, um, that claim, maybe you've got a video uh, of them eating the cookies or whatever. That claim can be provably false. It can enter into the realm of falsehood or truth. Maybe you have a video and it said, and, 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 you know, their little brother runs in, eats all the cookies and then smears chocolate on the brother's face and you have proof that that statement was true they didn't eat the cookies um so that statement can be true or false it can also be indeterminate you might not know you might not know whether they ate the cookies or not and you might say well they probably did i'm not sure i'm going to assume they did or i'm going to assume they didn't and you can have various levels of of uh truthhood or falsehood that you can ascribe you can ascribe to that statement um arbitrary statements don't have that they don't have arbitrary assertions have nothing to there's no there's nothing, there's just nothing there. It's just, it's just an assertion. There's no way to bring evidence one way or another. It's just a thing that you said. Arbitrary assertions don't enter into the realm of, of truth or falsehood. And therefore, logically, get con they get dismissed out of hand. The, the proper thing to do with that statement is to just say, it's just, it's just, it's the same as saying it's false, uh, but it's not technically saying it's false. It's just, I dismiss it out of hand. It's, it's malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. It's just craziness. I'm not, I'm going to just dismiss it, right? Um, and we can disagree, I can disagree with Christians about whether or not a specific form of a God exists, right? A Christian might make an argument. I, Julianne was making, it wasn't clear to me what argument she was making, whether it was for the Christian God or just a something in the universe behind things, a prime mover of some type. But a Christian could make an argument about a specific kind of God. And uh, I could take the position, which I was taking, that that's just an arbitrary assertion. I dismiss it out of hand, and therefore it's just, I can claim, because arbitrary assertions can be dismissed out of hand, I can claim that I know they're not true, um, because that's what knowledge means. Um, I know they're not true. Now, you might disagree with me, you might say, well, this shouldn't be an arbitrary assertion. There's evidence here. It should enter the realm of whether truth or falsehood. It should enter this realm of probability. And we can have this discussion about whether or not uh, a particular claim for a particular being enters into something beyond an arbitrary assertion. And therefore, we should weigh evidence and have a discussion. And at that point, um, you might be able to say to me, well, you can't really... You can't really say you don't know because here's some evidence and you're not really sure. You probably think it is is not true, but it could be. You've got to leave some some room. You've got to leave some room for uncertainty. Um, but you don't have to leave room for uncertainty with arbitrary statements. Otherwise, uh, you're undermining knowledge itself, right? If if any arbitrary statement can be can be made and you're obligated to uh, you're obligated to leave room for the possibility that that statement is true, you've just undermined the entire concept of knowledge like that's we use the word knowledge to mean that we uh that we consider something to be incoherent uh coherent uh with reality um and so if we think this is true then it's coherent with reality we think it's false we think it's incoherent with reality um 
and and like I said, arbitrary statements can just get uh, dismissed out of hand. So there certainly can be Christians who would say you should not treat it as an arbitrary uh, assertion, and therefore, um, therefore we need to have this discussion. Um, but to say how dare you say you don't that you know. I'm, you have to understand why I'm saying I don't know. I'm saying I don't know because I consider it an arbitrary assertion. Um, and we need to have a starting point where we all agree that arbitrary assertions do indeed get dismissed out of hand. Um, and, and I think we were in agreement on that show that the crazy example that I gave uh, did get dismissed out of hand. And so um, that's how we use the word knowledge. And it, this idea that the word knowledge... Um, you know the human the human uh, mind. We have logic because uh, we're fallible. That's why we have logic. We have logic because we don't have automatic knowledge of how the universe works. Um, so we need to test that against uh, the universe. So that's the reason that we have logic, and the reason that we we know if we declare something true, it's it's saying, hey, uh, this is in uh, this is coherent with with reality. Uh, and if we say something's false, like the kid eating the cookies example or whatever, then it's incoherent or, or it's, it's, it contradicts reality. Um, so that's all. That's, all, that's what I meant by that. Um, and, you know, if someone wants to have a deeper epistemological discussion about that, we can do that someday. I'm not, I don't want to do that too much now. Um, but uh, that's what that means. That's, that's what that means. The other thing I wanted to address related to this question is... Uh, is agnosticism. Um, agnosticism, uh, I think, is I. This is just my opinion on this. Uh, I've thought about this. Maybe people can argue with it. Um, and I'm happy to have an argument or discussion someday about it. Um, I don't think agnosticism is used properly. When people use the word agnostic, I don't think they they mean it. Uh, I don't. I don't think they mean it in the way. It, it doesn't mean what they think it does. Um, either a Let's take a particular God like the Christian God. Either the Christian God exists or doesn't. Regardless of who's right about that existence, it doesn't matter. Uh, if we all agree, in a, if we agree that there's an re objective reality, and if you don't agree that there's an objective reality, then you're probably not watching this show. So uh, either, either such a God exists or such a God doesn't exist. Uh, there's no like Schrodinger's God, right? It doesn't exist and not exist at the same time in the same respect. Like either I'm right or a Christian arguing that God does exist is right. Um, so it's one or the other. Uh, and agnosticism is, is this claim of indecision. Like, well, I don't know, right? I don't know which it is. Could be this, could be that. That's what, that's what agnosticism is. And agnosticism can exist, but I, you would have to look at how people behave. Well, how do people behave when they're indecisive? Well, uh, if you've got, uh, if you've ever been in a relationship and someone is indecisive about whether they want to be in a relationship with you, well, they treat you well, then they break up, then they come back, then they, they break up again, then they like they change their mind. Like they they waffle a lot in how they treat being in a relationship with you. Um, someone who's truly agnostic. Uh, so I don't go by necessarily what people say, but how they behave. Now you can't actually behave consistently as an agnostic and like agnostic behavior would look waffling it would be like well sometimes i act like there's god sometimes i don't sometimes i do sometimes i don't uh like i go to go to church oh now now i don't 
think church is a good idea. Now, like, oh, I'm praying, but oh, no, now I'm going to embrace sin. Like, you'd have to be, you would have to be exhibit waffling behavior to claim that you're an agnostic. Um, if you live your life as if there is no God and behave no differently than an atheist would behave, you don't get to claim agnosticism. You can say, I'm agnostic all you want until you're blue in the face, but your actions betray you. Um, and just like if, if you say, uh, if I break up with you and never see you again, and I say, well, I'm undecided about our relationship. Well, <laughs> not really. Like, I can say that as much as I want because I want to feel like we're still in some kind of relationship and hedge my bets because I'm worried about Pascal's wager. But if your actions demonstrate that you don't believe in the existence of a God, then you are an atheist regardless of what comes out of your mouth. Um, I think, actually, a lot of people who consider themselves Christians are actually agnostic because they don't treat their Christianity seriously. And they, they go from being Christian to not Christian to Christian and not Christian. And, like, you know, Friday night they forget God exists, and Sunday morning suddenly he exists for them again. Like, that's agnosticism. That's agnosticism. That is an indecisiveness about whether or not there's a God. Um, but uh, being... Uh, you know, behaving 24-7 for decades as if God doesn't exist, uh, you don't get to claim agnosticism for that. Um, that's my thoughts on those things. We can have a deeper discussion if we want to someday. I don't want to argue about Christianity right now, if, and if anyone's trying to—I'm not looking at chat. Hopefully people aren't trying to argue about God. Don't want to have a discussion about whether God exists. I wanted to have a discussion about the epistemology of uh, of what I was talking about before and, and how— in this, in the related thing with agnosticism, it looks like Carrie's. Carrie, are you back? Hold on, I can't even see. I, the window was covered. You're back, <coughs> Carrie. Sorry. Carrie, sorry. Were you sitting there yeah. listening to this and rolling your eyes the whole time? Sorry. No, I heard you talking about pop tarts, and I tuned out. Um, so, so I... you were back early. <laughs> Our pop tarts was early in my conversation. <laughs> um, the, I was interacting with people in chat though, and there was something I wanted to add about since we're talking about God, but I'm not talking about the same thing you are. I'm not talking about your epistemological. And I, 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 this is just, it's about God, but it's totally different. Okay. Um, for those who don't know, it may be if you're new to our show, Carter's an atheist, but I'm a pretty new believer. And, um, oh my gosh, I always get, I always get little ragamuffin confused with Tina Fisk because they, they remind me of each other in a lot of ways. And I was talking with Little Ragamuffin, and, and then um, I was about to say again about the book that she sent me, but actually Tina Fist sent me this book. This is a book called um, uh, God's Revelation to the Human Heart by Father Seraphim Rose. And I've mentioned it once before on our podcast, but one of the things I like about it is he talks about uh, this guy who got thrown into – this guy who was like an atheist uh, and a Marxist – who was thrown into a Soviet prison camp for trying to start an underground newspaper with his friends. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he came to find God while he was in the prison camp. And this is, this is just a callback to the, what I was saying about the friend who I believe is, was very honest and showed me was trusted us enough to talk about this deep secretly this desire to see as many people as possible wiped out this right. like resentment that's down there at the bottom. Right. And I think, and I, and I know you don't agree with me cause you're not a believer, but the best way I can describe it is what, what, what happened to me is that I had, in my opinion, a God sized hole. And that's where all that resentment 
was and that I was searching for things to fill that hole. And you can try, in my opinion, you can try and put lots of different things in there. I certainly tried to fill that hole with lots of different things. Um, but none of nothing, nothing worked for me. And I came kicking and screaming to Christianity. <laughs> like, um, there's a Bible verse I like a lot. <clears throat> that's, um, about, uh, where God says, I'm <clears throat> sorry, guys, it's not the Rona, but I've got a little cough. Um, God says, I will put the hook in your nose and the bit in your mouth, and I will steer you back on the path. And that's really what happened to me. I feel like, um, and I'm I'm the last person who would have thought I would end up being um, a believer or who would say the things I'm about to say, which is that for me, that hole was a God-sized hole. And, you know, in a conversation with a person like the, my friend, I'm not about to say, I'm not, and I asked, do you believe in God? And he said, no, you know, but I'm not about to start saying, well, I do. And I think you have a God-sized hole. And I think, you know, like, I just don't. For, tactically, first of all, I don't think I'm going to convince anyone that way. Yeah, I don't think that would so, work. <laughs> no, and it's not important for me to do that because because this you know this is just what I have found, and this is what I believe. But I I know I know, but I know in a way that like Ian was saying in chat, a way that I can't explain rationally. That's why there's faith involved, and so it's not important for me to pretend like I know, uh, it, it, I don't know, it's not important for me to say like, this is what I know to be true. And therefore, it's true for everyone. And you have to adopt my way of thinking. Well, and you don't evangelize, right? I don't evangelize. You did, not, you did not stage the intervention with me. That didn't come from you. Right? That no. came from Julianne. <laughs> Julianne's no, very I upset did... that I'm not something. Really? I think well, so. But you you don't seem uh, to care. I mean, I think deep down you're like, kind of. I wish you kind of would not be an atheist, Carter. But you don't beat me over the head with that at all. Well, um, I don't even think I would say that I feel that way because I kind of feel like what's meant to be will be, and if you're so meant you to go. be a believer, you, that will happen on God's time and your time. And I'm not here to be like, oh, you need to come over to the way I believe, you know, or whatever. Um, but, but anyway, j just really quickly, th this, I think I like, I like this book. It's a really short, book, but he's talking about th how this guy, once he got into the prison camp and he wrote about how he found God and he wrote about it in such a way that, that just like I'm saying, he said he, he couldn't, it's not something he could explain rationally. Um, th that when he came to believe it, um, it, it wasn't something that he could just explain to you and, and work it out mathematically how he came to this belief. But, um, but this, this is the part that I think relates to people who have a deep, deep seated emptiness and resentfulness in their heart. Um, he's talking about spiritual crisis. So he says in these conditions of spiritual crisis with no way out, there inevitably comes upon us the chief question of a worldview what am I living for if there is no way out? And when this frightful moment comes, each of us feels that death has caught him by the throat. If some kind of spiritual answer does not come, life comes to an end, because without God, not only is everything permitted, but life itself has no value and no meaning. Um, and I think I think that's that's why I relate that resentfulness in my friend 
and, and the resentfulness that I used to have. Let's just make it about me. My, that's why I relate my old resentfulness towards being with the resentfulness that would you see in somebody like the Columbine shooters. It's a resentfulness at uh, the perception that life is pointless and meaningless. It's, an, it's and really nihilistic, yeah. A nihilistic point of view, yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people are plagued with nihilism. And I know you would say, probably, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, you've heard me say it. You enough. can Go have ahead. meaning, and purpose. <laughs> yeah. right? Or you can have meaning and purpose without a belief in God. Um, I, I'm not going to argue wh- whether that's true or not. I just, for me, it wasn't, and it wasn't until I, God dragged me back with a hook and a bit, <laughs> um, that I came to find something greater than myself, and. Uh, rule like rule. The other thing is, <clears throat> the 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 when you look at the Bible, you're talking about Christians who don't take their faith seriously. I think a lot of people have resentment. Even Christians have resentment towards what they view as rules uh, for the way that they should live. God's rules, right? Um, if you talk about the ways that Jesus that Jesus said to live, um, I was on a podcast on Friday night. It was on the Three Crater Symposium, mm-hmm. and there was a guy on there after after the show. The show was about Michael Flynn, but after the show, we hung around and talked to each other offline about some other stuff, and we got into territory like this. And there was this one guy, Doc. I'm blanking on his last name. I'll just call him Doc Holiday. There was a guy, Doc <laughs> Holiday, who uh, was saying that when he had a when he had a realization that um, that God's guidelines. The boundaries, Augustine, I guess, would maybe call them boundaries. I don't know. The guidelines that for, for living aren't, weren't, he said, I realized they weren't a prison. They were a fortress. They were meant to protect me from the darkness that's in the world. And that changed my way of thinking radically. And, and that's exactly where I think I'm at right now is that learning that, you know, a lot of the boundaries that God has um, said, this is the best way to live um, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that was to protect me and shield me from all of this darkness in the world or from mistakes, <clears throat> from learning things the hard way, you know, right. Right. like there are certain things like, uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't murder. Those are some pretty good boundaries. <laughs> Those boundaries give you a lot of freedom within boundaries, right? Like they allow you to have a freedom that you don't have if you don't have those boundaries in my, in my opinion, because if you don't have the boundaries, like it says, anything goes like this book says, then anything is permitted and everything is meaningless. Nothing means anything. And I think you see in SJWism, this, it's not just, uh, there's nihilism, right? There's resentfulness. There's also a pursuit of hedonism. I see a lot of people trying to fill that hole with hedonism. Yeah. There's a lot of just hedonism as well there. Yeah. Hedonism. Yeah. Just yeah. Mm-hmm. base um, pleasures. And as much as it's funny, because I, I, I do see some of the more judgmental atheists, not you, but some of the more judgmental, arrogant kind of religious atheists, um, you know, they look down their nose at religion and, and these boundaries for a good life, for living a good life as like primitive, or they're so ancient and primitive. And it's like, meanwhile, they're chasing and celebrating a very primitive hedonistic. <laughs> right, they're down like, in the mud rolling around they're down the, the most mud. primitive thing they can do yeah the most primitive things they can do writing like animals and well we were talking about earlier glorifying your mental illness 
glorifying every narcissistic um, bodily function in an obsession with, you know, every, if, if there's not a sexual, it's like they're always inventing new and more disgusting sexual kinks, (laughs) you know, and then worship me from a specific sexual kink, right? Like it's just, I, I, I the only anyway, thing I do want to push back on just no I don't want to have an argument okay. about it. I just want to state okay. my disagreement with one part of it. Uh, I I liked a lot yeah. of what you said, but uh, um, I don't. I, I actually made a video about uh, this in response to Prager, who makes the same argument that like without God anything goes. Like that is not true. Uh, you do not have to have no objective morality without a God. That's I totally oppose that. I don't think it is correct. Um, uh, and um, but I hear that argument, and so you can watch my other... Actually, my other video doesn't explain how to do it either. It just is a, opposed to the argument that it's necessary. Um, but I do agree that uh, you don't get meaning. I mean, you don't really get... You need to replace You need to replace religion with something if you're going to get rid of it. You need to replace it with ethics <laughs> um, and, and morals. I, I also want to really quickly respond to Daniel Keene, who says... Um, He's talking about agnosticism. He says, I disagree. You can be consistent in your behavior with some, when something is unknown. You don't need to waffle and go many different temples or churches. Uh, well, I don't know if you have to go to many different temples or churches, but let me clarify. Uh, you can't be consistent with your behavior if something's unknown and important. Uh, if it's irrelevant, like I can be not sure whether there's a guy named Barry three blocks away in a red house. I don't know. Uh, possibly. Doesn't matter. I don't care. Uh, so I can consistently behave like I don't know about that thing. But um, for at least the concepts of God that I've been told about from Christians and, and others, uh, the, the real, they're like resist the, uh, the existence of that God, the reality of that God matters. It's a big deal. They're not telling me you need to believe in God and it doesn't matter. They're saying quite the contrary. It matters a great deal that you believe in God. So if it's something that matters a great deal, uh, you can't, your agnosticism, your uncertainty would manifest. I don't know if it would manifest exactly in the way I said, where you go to church one week and not in the other. I, I don't know how, but there would be definitely, one of the ways it would man, might manifest might be time, like well, this time you think that, this time you think that, and you behave differently. But certainly your behavior would manifest that you are uncertain of this very important thing. And most of the people who claim agnosticism that I know, none of their behavior involves any inherent belief that God exists. All of their behavior is indistinguishable from that behavior of an atheist. Now, maybe Daniel's thinking of someone who, uh, I don't know, they they pray all the time, but they're like, I'm not sure if you exist, but if you do, here's a prayer. Like, I, I guess, I guess that would be an agnostic. Um, but there does need to be, if it, if it, if it matters, if the question matters to you, then your behavior reflects your uncertainty. That's just necessary. Um, there's no getting around that. If it doesn't matter to you, fine. Then it doesn't, then your behavior doesn't have to reflect it. But, um, you know, if I wasn't sure whether gravity existed, I would maybe behave differently. I don't know what I would, what it would entail but maybe i'd tie myself to the floor more often and i i don't know i like I, I might be worried about floating off um so uh that's all that's all the point i wanted to make <sighs> all right i think this mm. is we've done a i think i think long. 
Okay, oh. well, one more oh, okay, since sorry. we've already gone on so yeah, long. Yeah, anyway, whoever's still around may find this. So, well, here's something I was thinking about. Okay, if we're going to mm-hmm. go back to this God offering guidelines on how to live and thinking of God as uh, a father or uh, who loves you and is offering these guidelines because these boundaries as a fortress and not as a prison. I think I used to think when I was younger, when I thought about religion, I used to ha- I used to think of the boundaries, these, these guidelines as uh, I resented them. You know, I don't I don't want any I don't like authority I don't want to tell me what I should have to do. You know what I mean? Like or and now I've started to think of them differently with age. And um, let's take one, for example, that people don't like. And I know in the Christian church, I know Christians who resent this. And I have struggled with resenting it myself. And I and it, it seems old fashioned, right? It seems like and I know churches that completely ignore this as if you can and people who you, we think we can pick and choose. Well, I can do this sin, right? Like it's OK. OK, sexual sex before marriage, right? Yep. That's a good one. Why might. OK, this is a good one, right? Why might a loving, omnipotent being who created you why might if there is a being you know just follow this thought experiment with me why might that be a guideline that you don't have sex before marriage there's a reason you there's a scientific reason for it there could be one is that when you have sex with someone you are your body releases oxytocin and you bond with people the more you have sex with that person the more you bond with them and maybe you shouldn't be bonding with random people you met on Tinder. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be chemically strengthening bonds <laughs> with people who are, are not marriage material or, or someone that you know you want to tie yourself to and bind yourself to for life. Maybe that's why some people end up in bad relationships with people who are bad for them, but they've already bonded to them emotionally and chemically and they've reinforced those neural pathways, you know. Right. And so now we're uh, getting into territory where you and I agree. And this is back, kind of back to the almost full circle to the Jordan Peterson stuff, which is like yeah. um, the religion, you know, you would say God has handed down laws that are very valuable to humans and, and matter. And I would say uh, humanity uh, <laughs> evolved. Uh, practices that seemed to work really well and figured out a way to transmit them from one generation to the next. And they did that through stories involving gods. Um, but we could disagree about the God part, but we're, you know, this is why I but, still have like respect for some of these, these rules and the the importance of some of these rules. They're not, they're not, right. they're not, not important. They're, 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 uh, they are important. And if you do take a wrecking ball to them and replace them with, nihilism or socialism uh you do so at your own peril and actually at the peril of all of humanity uh so i don't know carrie do you think do you think that should be a good ending should we are we done or I <laughs> like i have actually a meeting i'm supposed to go to so i, oh, I yeah, kind of need to, to be done i kind of do you want me to do you want no, me to let you keep going or should we be done let's be done i have a meeting with my backyard i've been all cleaning right. gutters doing your pulling weeds and i'm working on my yard Alrighty. So. I will uh, I will say goodbye to everyone then. Uh, don't forget to like, share, Hi, and subscribe. Everyone. Please don't forget to support us on where? Subscribe Star 
And uh, what else, Carrie? What are we missing? Um, we have merchandise, and we're going to have more merchandise options soon. But you can check out our shop at unsafespace.com and go to shop. And uh, if you, again, if you if you have if you don't have Telegram yet and you want to be a part of our chat, you can get on Telegram and find the Unsafe Space. We have a feed, we have a channel where you can, we just post the videos, and then we have a chat where you get to interact with everyone who's in in the community. Um, and uh, thank you guys for tuning in. All right, thanks everyone. Have a good day, and we will see you uh, see you Friday.